Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to another episode of the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club Podcast. Damn, I almost nailed that intro. I stumbled at the absolute last second. I hope you guys are all doing great. We won't do much in the way of introductions today, but if you don't know, my name is Tyler Bell. I am the showrunner, creator, writer, producer, editor behind the, now I guess you could say long-running podcast, the West Side 
fairy tales. I am a, I'm a horror author and also um, a major connoisseur of, of horror and dark fiction and media, video games, and um, and books, and, and basically anywhere I could find it. And um, today, uh, and one of the reasons we have to just jump straight into it, because I feel like I'm going to be talking for hours, um, we're going to be talking about Dexter. This is all things Dexter we are talking about. One of the most uh, conflicting um, arguments starting wonderful, awful shows uh, to have, have ever existed. If you if you don't know much about Dexter, it is a show about a serial killer played by Michael C. Hall. It ran for eight seasons starting back in the uh, mid-2000s. Uh, ran for eight, like I said, and then just recently came back ten years after the airing of the original show's last episode for a uh, follow-up series called Dexter New Blood, which um, I just finished watching a couple days ago, and much like the ending of the first series, left me very conflicted. Um, I've always loved Dexter. I, I've loved this so so bad. I loved this show so much I couldn't watch it anymore when it started to let me down. Um, for those don't that know, don't know, um, in kind of a uh, easy, simplistic way, the uh, original Dexter show started off very good, got even better, and then fell off so hard um it, it is it could be easily likened to the um failure of, of game of thrones in ending but let's just get a little bit into this and i'm gonna do some i'm gonna do some background and then i'm gonna go through the show in kind of a retrospective season by season season and talk about what i like um dexter was uh, aired on Showtime beginning in October of 2006 and uh, ran till September 22nd, 2013. So functionally speaking, throughout the entirety of my young adult life, um, this show was on. Um, I started watching it in my second during my second deployment when it was in its second season. I watched the first entire two seasons of this show on a fucking iPod video if you want to just bring yourself right back to back in the day uh, and i mean literally me two or three feet away from an ipod video in a uh, iraqi police station um god what the hell was that pull as a opsharika yeah opsharika which is a uh, if you've ever been to ramadi we were the the ip station that's right next to the um I, hopefully it's defunct still or or rebuilt and people aren't still trying to use it uh, uh amusement park the one with the, uh, or at least that had the gigantic um, Ferris wheel that hundreds upon hundreds of kids would overburden and get going so fast that it would literally shudder and you could feel it shaking the buildings nearby. <laughs> but I digress. Um, Dexter is like basically uh, one of the most interesting shows Ever functionally speaking, um, what if Batman was simultaneously more and less grounded in reality? You know, what would that be like? Uh, we follow um, Dexter Morgan, the eponymous character, who is a self-admitted serial killer as he hides his uh, dark passenger, his desire um, 
pretty much relentless desire to murder people for his own enjoyment from his uh, comrades at the Miami-Dade Metro um, Homicide Department where he works as a blood spatter analysis. That is, he goes and looks at blood and where it goes and hits things and then he can usually put together a crime scene that in addition to his own existence as a serial killer his mindset as a murderer helps him be extremely effective in locating and uh, and tracking down murderers um obvi- obviously very much to the deficit of the miami-dade metro police department whom he very rarely actually assists in the capturing of um anybody at all who murders somebody Miami-Dade Metro is a police department beset by um, guys that just seem to always just slip through their fingers at the last second. These, these these prolific serial killers that seem to just come to Miami at, at any time of the year for any real reason and just start killing left and right, displaying bodies, leaving body parts out. Um, uh, Miami Metro is always on the case, and then this, the, trail went, the, the trail went cold. I don't know. And uh, it, it's great. He also, um, in the early seasons, has a, uh, a sort of surrogate family through his girlfriend. And he has his sister, Deborah, who hangs around him um, all the goddamn time. And uh, she is, a at the beginning of the series, a uh, aspiring and aspiring homicide detective who works in the vice ring. She's uh, basically, she has an undercover prostitute. Most hilariously unbelievable un- undercover prostitute, not not because of uh, the way she looks, but because of how she acts <laughs> like a cop in a fucking miniskirt, which is great in its own right. Um, but let's just hop into uh, the season one, which really made me fall in love with the show. Each season, by the way, basically follows um, a certain set of rules. There is a primary serial killer who has come to town. And um, Dexter may or may not know about them at the time. This person's bodies are discovered in the first few episodes. And as Dexter sort of uncovers more and more about these killings and what's going on, he is also simultaneously killing random people throughout uh, Miami-Dade metro area and all the way up even to upstate Florida because they have gotten away from him or to um, usually highlight some aspect of his own life that he's dealing with. Um, Dexter is a sociopath. He ostensibly doesn't feel things or, or really understand his relationship to people, so he kind of fakes it until he makes it. Early in the season series, it's it's very often suggested that people believe something is wrong with Dexter. Dexter is described as cold, as a little creepy, as a little off-putting. He is kind of like a perfect candidate for that quiet, unassuming guy next door who is a serial killer. As we proceed into the series much deeper, you do seem to see a, 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 basically a, a writing decay as uh, multiple writers and multiple showrunners are brought in, the uh, main showrunner who ran the show for the first, first four seasons after the stunning conclusion of season four, which we'll get into, um, quit the show permanently to spend more time with his family. He really did drop the mic, and unfortunately, um, he kind of dropped it on hard, unforgiving ground, and it broke, and nobody else could really pick it up again after after him. <laughs> 
Uh, and, and the season sort of fell, fell apart, or the series sort of fell apart after that. It's not to say it was the most awful thing ever, but what was really, really great about it, what was, you could say, um, after effect, almost perfect about it, sort of kind of came to an end. And one of those things, like I said, is this writer's creep um, where Dexter stops being almost on the verge of being found out at almost any second of the day, which is sometimes played for laughs and sometimes played for dramatic effect, in that he is very weird. He cannot react to people the right way because he is functionally a monster in a people suit, as he says fairly frequently to in various ways throughout the early seasons. You know, he, he's barely, quite literally, barely hanging on, and you can tell to a degree that he is drawn to start breaking his code. Um, which, you know, I guess we should get into real quick. There is a code that he follows. It's one of the core elements of the series. It's Harry's code developed for him by his stepfather, Harrison, or yeah, Harrison Morgan, Harry Morgan. I think his full name is Harrison, but detective, the original detective Morgan, who himself was a, a, a homicide detective, or at least just a, a cop. I think he was a detective later. I can't remember. Harry's entire backstory is kind of this fuzzy thing that occurs more dedicated fans of the show will probably know it by heart but i neither know too much about it nor do i particularly care um harry's value to dexter as a as a as a character and as an interlocutor is kind of dubious considering who harry actually is and the harry that you see almost constantly through the show as both a representation of the code and of dexter's murders or, or urges is a uh, hallucination whom Dexter talks to in all of these lonely moments when he's walking around alone um, is obviously not representative of the original person. It's a figment of Dexter's imagination, which he admits readily. It's not a, a dominant hallucination, but that code is a, a integral to the story. But the writing creep that occurs is that um, as his relationships unfold with the various people that he meets, mostly detectives in the homicide department at Miami-Dade Metro and um, in his personal life with his wife or girlfriend and then wife. Uh, by the way, this is going to be deep spoilers. So if you haven't seen Dexter, first off, you're literally a decade too late for me to care too much about spoilers, but also you have until the end of this program for me to spoil anything about Dexter New Blood for you. So I suggest you go watch that and uh, and tune back in when you're ready. Or if you don't care about spoilers, just boogie on down with me. So uh, the writing creep is basically that he has to have these interactions with people and to have healthy relationships with people, you have to be a human being that understands and can reciprocate emotions. Um, Otherwise, you have to either get into extremely damaging relationships that are built on lies, which are almost all of his early relationships and any persistent relationship into the later seasons. Um, or he has to tell the truth about himself, which is quite literally impossible for about almost the entirety of humanity. You know, um, his his secret identity as a, uh, as a murderer is held tight to his chest. And as the seasons go on, Basically, the original Dexter, who is creepy, unsettling, people like him because he's good at his job, but there's also a lot of people who just actively don't like him or don't want to be around him because he's odd and ingratiating and, and, and quite literally a fucking serial killer pretending to not be a serial killer. 
um, that kind of gets pushed to the wayside as he develops relationships with people. And it's even to the point where in the last seasons they're like, well, maybe you're not really a sociopath, which is kind of indicative of where the later seasons fall apart. It's not really in the Dexter versus killers aspect of his relationship, but really in the Dexter versus being a normal human being aspect of his relationship, which is one of the best parts of the show and which completely falls apart by the end. But let's hop into season one. This is the first season I um, I ever watched, obviously, uh, and it aired on Showtime October 1st through December 17th, 2006. This follows the original book, um, Darkly Dreaming Dexter, about a blood spatter analyst from Miami Metro who is secretly a serial killer and um, his, his trying to get to you know, a, a good place in his life of of a work life balance, I guess you would say, and um, killing people, talking about himself, and uh, introducing himself. He's obviously he's dating Rita Bennett, the mother of Aster and Cody, to minor characters who only become more minor as the series goes on. Those are Rita's kids, and um, yeah, he also is. The sorry, the main killer of this season is the ice truck killer, who, as we go into our investigations, we find out is his brother, Brian or Biney. In this season, we figure out through Dexter remembering things, uh, which is childhood amnesia being undone by exposure to current events is tropey kind of done you know the, the thing but in this case it is so insane what happened to him when he was a kid it's fine we find out that the origin of dexter's dark passenger is the murder of him or of his mother in front of him at a young age which i can't remember if he kind of remembers that or not um, but he does know he's adopted but basically what happened is that dexter's mother was involved in the drug trade and was killed to silence her and she was basically taken to an iso container a shipping container metal shipping container with the closing sides you've seen them on the back of semi trucks before or on boats they're everywhere in miami metro obviously because it's a major shipping district um but she was dragged to one of those after being captured and chopped apart alive with an electric chainsaw or just maybe a normal chainsaw um, right in front of Dexter. And then him and his older brother, Brian were left in a puddle of blood for two nights or so um, until the cops figured out where um, their, his mother had been taken to. I don't know how, I can't remember exactly how, but it's, it's really not very important. Um, Harry, his uh, stepfather and yeah, his stepfather, his stepfather-in-law, his stepfather finds him, uh, ends up adopting him. And Brian gets put into the foster care system where he also develops the same sort of murders or urges as Dexter. Obviously um, these kids were raised ostensibly in the eighties and nineties. Dexter is, I think, 30-ish when this show starts. I was 20. So yeah, I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s. He would have grown up in the 80s and 90s. So um, it makes more sense, I guess, in retrospect that these kids would not be given some degree of therapy or something, which becomes a little bit more obvious 
as the shows go on and as just, you know, outside attitudes towards providing children therapy after traumatic events becomes um, a little bit more mainstream. Obviously here in the, uh, the beatific and uh, flawless year of 2022, we would immediately try to get a child who was found up to their hips in their own mother's blood, some sort of therapy, uh, at least in some of the better states in the union. Obviously, um, red state folks don't really care too much for that theory or or, or, or trying to uh, Im- improve people's lives through therapy. They would rather you just go for a walk or something. I don't know. So, um, yeah, actually him coming up coming up in Florida makes perfect sense. It would probably happen the same way even today, although he might get caught sooner. But um, I digress. Brian is put into the foster care system where his own murderous uh, urges develop and he starts killing two He later discovers that his brother Dexter is still alive and he comes to the Miami-Dade metro area in order to find his brother, reunite with him, and um, have someone else in his life that he can share his dark secret with. And this season is fucking awesome, by the way. It it, it slaps. I haven't rewatched it, um, and I'd rather not. I can't imagine liking it more, and I would like to not like it less. And so reviewing it, in modern times through a modern lens and being a uh, a 34-year-old grown-ass man instead of a, at the time, 19-year-old uh, moron in the United States Marine Corps. Um, I'd like to believe that it was still good, and I'm pretty sure it is. I, I, I had a good sense for um, – for media back then, although I was more forgiving of certain things. And I could certainly see that if I rewatched it at this point, there might be some stuff that stuck out to me as um, irritating, irritatingly problematic or, or the like, uh, as uh, some people know, if you followed my channel for a while, I reviewed the book that this was based on the original darkly dreaming Dexter and found it fairly wanting both in quality and in uh, not being, very, very gross with its depictions of non-white uh, and non-male characters. <laughs> In this, yeah, you have James Stokes, who um, I always loved as a character. He's um, a very good counterpoint to Dexter in the early seasons when he's still there. In season one, he is always kind of around and he looks at Dexter and he's basically like, I know everybody else, you got everybody else fooled, but you are. there's something fucking wrong with you and I'm going to figure out what it is. But you can tell much more in the show than in the book that he can't really figure out what it is because, A, um, James Dokes is a lawful man. Uh, despite his disposition and some of his um, less than legal attitudes towards the people that he arrests, um, he won't actively violate civil rights in order to investigate people, at least in the early seasons. And, you know, he, he won't, he won't push a, uh, he won't push into an immovable area. You know, it's like, he's just like, you're fucking weird. You're fucking weird. And stop trying to be friendly to me. Cause I know you're fucking weird. And then as Dexter slips up around him more and more and more and, and, and shows up in way too convenient places and stuff, he gets kind of deductive as to why Dexter could possibly be there. And in falsifying the other claims, very, very accurately deduces that Dexter would have to be the ice truck killer to be doing all the things, but then finding concrete, uh, substantive evidence to prove that he is the, or not the ice truck killer, but the Bay Harbor butcher, which comes in a couple seasons later. 
actually proving that is uh, is the difficulty. And, and so James Stokes is great, and uh, he is. There's I, I'll talk about it later, but he is definitely one of the guys. There there's at least two or three characters, at least three characters who undergo what I can only call the uh, Dexter transformation during the show, and they get um like physically larger or physically skinnier. I guess there was just a um, maybe some sort of sense of like being in good shape or exercising a lot. I don't know with this show, but there's a lot of characters that as they approach the seat, like their later seasons, they started getting really, really jacked or really, really like cardio skinny. Um, and, and it was just something I noticed him, Quinn and Deb stand out the most to me. Whereas everybody else is staying very much the same. Like Batista, um, Vince Masoka, even La Huerta, they all look very much the same as they progress through the show. And, and some of these people just get like hilariously in shape, but uh, it, it's neither here nor there. Uh, Dokes is great. So as we proceed through this, obviously Dexter's always there. When James Dokes is around, he's got an extra be on his game, which is great. And one of the things about getting deeper into the show is that when, when jokes, Dokes is jokes is when Dokes is no longer there. Um, Dexter has a little bit too much free reign and, instead of having somebody who he has to constantly be around and interact with, who can just constantly be taking notes on his behavior and figuring out, well, is this guy fucking weird or not? Um, you stop having that. And so you stop being able to rely on it as a, as a method of restricting Dexter's actions and and that's a lot of the great part about the early seasons is dexter is shown to be highly competent but not uh immune to mistakes he he can stumble he can fall people are actively working against him both to solve the murders that he is trying to usurp uh <laughs> basically and kill that murderer um, trying to uh, on occasion figure out like why he was in places and stuff. So it, it's just great. And as Dexter meets Brian and then they start interacting, that creates an amazing dynamic between him, his sister, his adoptive sister, Deborah, and Brian, who is very much like him, but also not. So he's kind of trapped in the middle of this yin yang, a person who loves him unconditionally, but is a good person, a lawful person who he can never be honest with and a person who he can truly be honest with, but loves him in a conditional way. Um, Brian wants Dexter to stop playing around and bullshitting with this whole, uh, attached to justice thing and, um, just start killing people with him and be, be friends and be murderers together, which is, you know, I don't know where you would really go from that. It's kind of doomed from the onset, but it is a, it is an interesting thing. And so they play against each other. And um, the first kill that Brian shows off is the ice truck killer kill in which um, we, we find out. Well, actually, the first ones is they find out people are being drained of blood and left missing body parts throughout the series. And they where they're being chopped up and kind of left together. And then... Um, at one point they find that they, they know they realize he's driving around an ice truck and then they find the ice truck and in the back of the ice truck, which he purposely abandons, 
there is a uh, frozen women woman's frozen hand. It's been severed and it's but it's still displayed as a big hand. Very nice, very good set piece. Really interesting. As we get deeper into it, Dexter realizes that Brian is actually kind of replicating his own kills as kind of an homage because when Dexter cuts up bodies, which he initially treats as just a uh, method of convenience for disposal, but what he's really doing is chopping up the bodies in the same pattern as his mother was chopped up, you know, and so like it, it, it looks exactly the same. And so Brian is doing the same thing as Dexter to kind of like, you know, hey, man, I see you. Isn't this cool? This is pretty neat, right? You, me, together, being friends. And, of course, it ends violently. Dexter inevitably kills Brian, um, although it's really painful for him. It's a hard thing for him to do, but, you know, he prefers his life. And also you get a sense, too, that deeper than that, the life that Brian was leading was much less safe for Dexter ultimately and much less secure because what, what Dexter had in Miami Metro was a good cover, a, a good second life and access to a lot of bodies to put in body bags and uh, the methods with, with which to do that. And if he left with Brian and he risks that, you know, he's not going to have it anymore. He's just going to have to travel around with his brother anonymous at much higher risk of capture, doing much riskier kills. Um, obviously, Brian's displaying his bodies, whereas Dexter just puts them in the water and stuff. And so that's one of the things that I think is very important for the show that other people maybe missed out on or or just don't consider as much. I think a lot of people assumed naturally that Dexter Morgan is just a good guy. Harry's code convinces him to kill only bad people and you know, uh, to make sure that they are absolutely the people you think are. You have to prove that they're bad. You have to prove that their kind of badness needs to be murdered in order to fix. You know, obviously, if somebody's just um, stealing cash out of a cash register every day, but it's not causing a real material harm, then you can't go after them. But the first rule is always don't get caught, which kind of puts the don't get caught above the don't kill innocent people, which I always have found to be the most interesting part because it's like, yeah, he will, by those rules, if he follows them strictly, then killing an innocent person is absolutely acceptable as, as, a, as, a, as a recourse to getting caught, which I always, always appreciated and is a much better reason to kill Brian than any of the sort of semi-false reasons that Dexter ultimately gives, um, you know, I care about Deborah. I need to have my house. I have my life here. But really what it is, is it's going to be harder for him to kill and easier for him to get caught if he goes with Brian, in my opinion. And I might be misremembering certain parts about that. And he might have admitted it openly. Like I said, it's been almost, you know, whatever, 15 years since I watched uh, the original seasons of Dexter. But um, I love them so much. I, I'm I'm talking about most of this literally off the top of the dome. And I won't go set piece for set piece. I will leave season one there. But season one ends perfectly. And the that entire show could have literally ended with just that. I'm glad it didn't. But it could have ended with just that and been one of the best single seasons of television kind of ever. And I think a lot of what I like about Dexter, and I'll establish it here as season one, tonally going forward, is this sort of almost perfect 
sense of tone that this show captured of what I mean. The theme song really is thematic for this show. And, you know, there's a lot of other songs. You know, you, you have the, the, the those, like, long, slow... Um, that violin that kind of plays in the darker aspects but right here we have this sort of uh uh, no i'm bad with it but i think this is a kind of a like a a minor-ish chord with these real but these really bright you know um latin inspired instrumentals and stuff so it's got that miami feel but also that kind of like creepy bit to it and that and it, it, it has a, a sort of impetus to it. It's impelling you forward. And it's also a little bouncy um, while being dark. And I think that's really what's great about uh, Dexter the show is that it does feel like that almost the entire time. You never really get a sense uh, that the show in the early seasons um, is forgetting itself. It doesn't get too dark, even when we're talking about murder and childhood trauma. Um, and it also doesn't get too light. It's never overly comical when we're going into the dark spaces and never overly dark when we're going into the light spaces. And I think the the good thing about that is that you also get a sense from just the quality of the writing and the acting that that tone isn't really what life is like for everybody that's not Dexter. Dexter is the narrator of the show. And for him, his life is this compulsive, incessant, you know, bouncy step forward day by day by day by day as he does his dark shit. But he's in a good mood generally because he's, safe he's happy and he's got stuff to do and as long as he's pursuing his his career and his pursuits like there's really no reason to fuck with a good thing but everybody else around him is just like you know it it is it is dark and it is gruesome and, and there's always these jarring moments where he kind of where he talks about what's going on outside of his immediate world that, you know, or he takes his world into other people's places and he's usually kind of aware of it, but sometimes he slips and, you know, Rita or Deb or somebody like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck are you talking about? Which I think, you know, really spoke to me because I've always been a weird person. I think weirdos really fucking love this show uh, more than just the average person. Um, but yeah, as far as the, the conversation on tone goes, it, the tone is perfect in, in, in for that case. And I, I think uh, I, I would like to talk about appeal for a second, who this appeals to as a show before we get into the other seasons. Um, I, I think this is very much a show for uh, two types of people um, as the largesse of the audience. And uh, just because you don't belong to either of the two camps or find yourself perhaps straddled between the two does not diminish your ability to enjoy this or, or, or my impressions of your impressions of the show. Uh, enjoy it however you like, but I have noticed two types of audience for this show. The first is people who are kind of out, outcast types, which are people like me who view Dexter as they sort of view themselves. Hey, I have a lot of weird hobbies on the side. Obviously I'm not a fucking serial killer, but people do treat me like one because I am into, uh, anime, death metal. I like kitty cats. I like jazz music. 
I'm really into fucking crochet. I like to shave my legs and wear a dress on the weekends, you know, and, and, and fucking get tips from dudes for singing along to pop songs. I got my own shit going on that people fucking treat me bad. And so that second life aspect and balancing all of these different expectations while also, you know, kind of managing your own pursuits isn't just something that weird people can identify with. It was also very much the existential modus of folks like us in the early to mid 2000s, um, possibly before or after. But when I was watching this show, basically throughout the entirety of the 2000s, um, America was definitely a place of very deep fascist <laughs> imperialist sentiment without anybody really realizing that we were doing that sort of thing. Um, and, and you know, that's not like to me to be like, we need as a, I'm not, I'm not trying to get super political here. I'm really just trying to describe the climate of post nine 11 America, which was in no uncertain terms, an absolute fucking nightmare. Um, and, you know, I, obviously I'm complaining about it as a white dude, but, um, for anybody that's out there that has, you know, that there was like white passing, um, as a, as an Arab or as a Muslim, you know, that, or a person of Arab descent or really just any person of color of like vaguely Middle Eastern persuasion, even like Italian people, um, from like Sicily and shit. If you had like moderately like brown skin, you might and a beard fuck off, you know, you might get targeted for harassment, if not violence. And so, you know, you had to keep those aspects of yourself down, but also as just a general sense, whenever America or any country tends toward the more fascistic, like we were after a major terror attack on a, on a major metropolitan city center and a, a symbol of, of, of literal capitalist American imperialism and greed, you know, we went off the, we went off the fucking deep end. So, you know, you, you had to be very, you had to be very white and very um, pro American and pro apple pie. Um, as just a, a slight deviation to this, um, when me and my wife were recently watching, rewatching for me, King of the Hill, uh, which started in the late 90s, you can see almost immediately after 9-11, every single fucking character of color basically vanishes from major plot points. Whereas once the Susanusophone family, Khan Susanusophone and um, his, his daughter Khan Jr., Connie, um, were usually major plot elements and because they were fucking Hank's neighbors and Bobby's uh, best friend... Damn it. What's his name? Jonathan? Joseph. Uh, Joseph, who is a mixed uh, Native American white boy. Um, they kind of just suddenly fucking vanish. Bobby breaks up with Connie and she's just not in shows anymore. Joseph just fucking vanishes. And all of a sudden it just becomes about really uh, Hank Hill and his three white bread friends. And all of a sudden Khan's not coming over and bothering them anymore. And there's a lot of like really America centric, um, things. And this, the sentiment in America was very much like that for everybody. Like if you didn't have anything good to say about the troops, if you weren't fucking changing your goddamn French fries to freedom fries and stuff, uh, you, you could get like a, a lot of hate and vitriol, 
Um, and that's not even just for people that were speaking out. You know, the people that were speaking out, even fucking, they, they canceled the fucking Dixie Chicks because they were like, we don't like George Bush that much. much. And they're like, yeah, well, your name is half of a racism. And they're like, well, fu- what do you want from us? There's a lot of uh, a lot of cultural confusion and stuff. And if you were any sort of outlier um, in the 2000s, things suddenly got very hostile for you. Very, very weird. And, you know, I'm just saying this as a, as a, as a white dude, basically ostensibly from the suburbs. And I know it has to have been word, worse for other people. But what I am saying is that um, culturally this show came about at a time where othering and having to lead double lives all of a sudden went from being something that was on the decline throughout the 90s into something that was crushingly extreme. Uh, and people really did throughout the entirety of the 2000s going into the early 2010s start living their stereotypes um, kind of explicitly, um, especially in cultural media. So something like Dexter was kind of a breath of fresh air. Um, and, 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 you know, that was that one side of of the audience. And the other side of the audience was kind of the other people that don't like the people that like the other side of the audience uh, that were from the other side. So on, on the other side, we have um, people that I think really would appreciate uh, what I am interpreting as uh, Jim Lindsay's sort of pseudo jingoist, non justice's non rehabilitative outlook on, on, on criminal procedure and, and criminal justice, which is uh, first off, wrong very wrong uh functionally i could say evil even um and 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 i'll get into that so the the other aspect of it is the the people who really appreciate um vigilantism and uh extra extrajudicial violence which was also the lay of the land in the mid to late 2000s as we got deeper and deeper into the iraq war as we got uh into the, the the kind of the, the scummy depths of Bush era foreign policy where we started finding out that, holy shit, not only is America kind of the bad guy in this war that we thought we started because we were the good guys, but also we are about as bad of a bad guy as we can get. And then people have to say, well, maybe you should be the bad guy and maybe bad guys are actually good guys. And so that entire sort of discourse where, hey, yeah, we did torture, but you know what? Fuck them. They're terrorists. That was a thing. You know, can we stoop to or even below the methods of, of, of ostensible criminals and, and violent murderous types in order to uh, protect democracy or to protect ourselves and our families and stuff? And Dexter embodied that spirit uh, more so even than I think it did the concept of the other extrajudicial murder, extrajudicial murder is the fundamental aspect of Dexter. The thing is those, that those premises, right? The posited solution of just fucking murdering anybody is pretty gross. Now in the show Dexter, it's really not that bad because a, for some reason, Miami Dade Metro area, Miami camp, Miami Dade County is packed fucking full of murderers they are everywhere and they are all prolific they all are completely unmitigated in not only their violence and their cruelty but their outright fucking like insanity and their their gleeful disposition to murder 
every single murder he has is is not like they're almost never um I, I had to kill people because of like reasons or like, you know, I didn't really want to be here. And even if they are like, he's just like, you didn't mean that you killed him because you want to kill him, which I understand is part of the deeper messages of Dexter and as Dexter's as a deeper character. He probably doesn't really give a fuck either way because he's a serial killer. But my explanation of the other, uh, monolith, monolithic dualithic chunk of the audience is people that prefer extrajudicial killings. Um, and, and, and functionally speaking, they are, are pro police violence, uh, pro vigilantism, um, based on an, on a real concern, but, um, also they might not even give a shit about that. Some people just want to watch somebody die and they want to have a really good, almost, um, you know, in, incontrovertible reason to do it. I, I, I don't want to talk about it. I just want to kill this person and I want to get away with it completely. I, I, I seek out and I attest to, to, to the, uh, the glory of violence. And those are my two impressions of the, uh, the two, the dualithic uh, Dexter audience. And of course there's other people who are just like, I like Deborah Morgan and I'm concerned about her dating prospects. And so I watch this show and yet still other people are like, I like Quinn because Quinn is fucking stupid and we will get into Quinn later. <laughs> but we're going to jump into uh, a, a quick breakdown of the seasons going forward and what I do and don't like about them. Season two of, of Dexter premiered on September 30th, 2007 and ended on December 16th, 2007, which would be shortly after I started watching this. I went up, I started my second deployment, uh, to Aramadi, Iraq, um, in October, October 31st, literally Halloween day of 2007 came back in May. I think it was, or, or no, 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 not May. March. Yeah. Whatever. Six and a half, seven months is from there. Uh, and so, yeah, this season is the, uh, beginning of the Bay Harbor butcher arc in which, uh, the, the beginning is, is pretty great. Um, some divers are fucking around in the water at the beginning and they find a trash bag and the guy's like, Oh, that's interesting. There's a trash bag and it's full of body parts. And so they start bringing up all of these bodies out of the, out of the waters. And um, yeah, so we, we discovered that the Bay Harbor butcher is probably the most prolific serial killer in Miami, Florida history. If not, if not um, American history, especially because all of those bodies are, are provably connected to the same killer. You know, they have the same cut marks. They have all the same, this and that, and this and that. This is the beginning of the season where Dokes starts really stalking out Dexter and trying to figure out what's going on. And Dexter is sent to rehab because Rita suspects that he has an addiction to drugs. That's because Dexter's always going around with these um, <laughs> ketamine loaded syringes in order to knock people out. And I've never really done any research. Um, it's, it's as a quick aside, Dexter's modus operandi, uh, which remains functionally unchanged throughout the entire series of slight um, adjustments that are usually necessitated by the material conditions of whatever the fuck situation he's gotten himself into. It starts with, you know, the stalking area and then he um, isolates the person, injects them with a sedative. Sometimes the sedative has to change. Sometimes he like knocks somebody out or chokes them out. Um, and then he, um, basically extradites them 
I guess you would call it, to a kill room, absconds with them, abducts them to a, uh, a kill room area. The kill room is prepped with um, sheets of plastic, so it always kind of looks the same, which is nice because it does create a, a, a series rhythm. So every time you see the scenes start being cast in these light blues and whites because of the, the way that the light diffuses through this plastic, you know it's about to be fucking go time. And the, the person wakes up strapped to a table, and then um, Dexter begins his killing ritual, which is to wake them up, usually with smelling salts, sometimes smacking them. He they, they say, oh, no, what the fuck? He said they always say that, something like that. Then he relates to them why they're there. They usually tell him to go. Sometimes they're like cool guys, and they'll be like, yo, fuck you, man. Like, I expected to end up here. You a bitch. You ain't going to kill me, whatever the fuck. He tells them about the killings they've done. He tells them that's why that they're there. They usually say, that's what this is fucking about. Fuck you. And then he uh, nicks them on the cheek and collects a drop of their blood for blood slides that are his murderous trophy and which he sometimes takes out and very sensuously strokes. Click, 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 click. It's one of the best parts of the early seasons is when he gets out his slide collection, which is also just a wonderful collection of uh, proof that he is the murderer because not only are they trophies, they are quite literally active, protected blood samples on a slide. Um, he collects that blood slide. He kills with a single laceration or a single stab to the um, chest with a few notable exceptions, usually only for other serial killers. Um, uh, of note, um, Brian, for instance, is killed with a slash to the throat to mimic his own murder. Um, and usually, yeah, any alteration to this is because of material expediency, which is another thing where I think, um, it's kind of a deeper proof that Dexter would given the chance or, 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 or forced to act would, um, break any, any of the lower rules of the code in order to, uh, find a higher role or, or, or suffice to a higher role, uh, obey a higher role. I'm not, I don't know exactly how to, how to say that, how to articulate that, but yeah, he would definitely probably kill an innocent person if he absolutely had to, to stay um, out on, out on the road, which we we will we'll sort of get into um, after, after a bit. The, the good, the interesting thing about this season is the entire addiction introspection arc. Dexter's not feeling too good through most of this a because he's now being super duper hunted. Um, although everybody doesn't quite know it, that he's the Bay Harbor butcher. Um, though J Dokes is very specifically throwing, uh, a lot of accusations and insinuations his way. Uh, Dokes pursuit of Dexter is hindered by obviously just, um, the fact that you have to limit your investigations of people based on their civil rights, which is actually a good thing. Um, <laughs> Civil rights are are a okay in my book, um, but you have to you have to limit your invest. He has to limit his investigation because of uh, Dexter's ostensible civil rights, and um, also because of departmental bureaucracy. Bureaucracy, obviously, the department cannot start consuming itself from within by accusing people in the department of the murders, even though it's kind of fairly clear after they start establishing who the Bay Harbor butcher is that 
it has to be somebody in Miami Metro, a cop at least, if not a detective or a forensic specialist who would know not only to kill these people perfectly, but even to kill these people in the first place because they find out that almost every single one of the people has some sort of record and can be tied tied to some larger um, crime out in the real world. Usually a series of, of, uh, of, of violent interactions with other people, including murder, rape, what have you. So the, the Dexter's complicating person in this is kind of Dexter himself, although we are and and dokes, we, we get a little bit more deeper into it. And let me just make sure that I'm on the right season. Yes, Dexter hooks up with uh, Leela, who is this uh, British lady and a also former addict who we find out soon after is a pyromaniac. And she um, is also kind of a like a, a stalker type too. And she ends up killing people in fires and um, she does a whole bunch of all uh, all kinds of horrible shit in order to keep Dexter with her and um, that sort of stuff. Dexter also tracks down the men responsible for his mom's death. Some of them are in jail. Another dude's alive. And uh, yeah, he captures him. And then that's when you can see one of the good moments in the show. One of the sort of perfect moments um, that does kind of affect the overall tone. And like I said, you know, normally even in the worst episodes, each episode starts out with that nice... Like dun 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 dun, and that 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 calm, bouncy, little bit dark, kind of fun, you know, tone is really destroyed in this notable scene between Dokes and Dexter. Dokes gets taken down by Dexter. Dexter. Uh, he's following Dexter. Dexter knows, but uh, Dexter takes him down and and puts him off to the side. He can't kill him, although he should. And, you know, him and Dokes have like a pretty good back and forth. You a sick motherfucker. That kind of shit. Um, and Dokes is pretty much in charge, but he's also pres- shown to be, um, and I think he is a, uh, like a special forces, former special forces officer or something of that nature. So he's a hard dude. He's seen some fucked up shit. He's been working homicide for years, but then Dexter gets a hold of Jimenez who is, um, responsible for his mother's death. And he fucking does his entire thing in front of Dokes and Dokes sees Dexter taken apart and it fucking withers him. Dokes is absolutely like destroyed by it. And you really get to see behind the veil that like, Dexter's kind of fucked up. Dexter's kind of a sick fuck. You know what I'm saying? And 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 Dokes calls him that. And yeah, that kind of sticks to Dex throughout the entirety of the rest of the series, which uh, I like. And um, yeah, you also find out that Dexter's dad committed suicide and, and, and some other good stuff. But the the season sort of wraps up with. Um, a little a little too clean in my opinion but Leela kills Dokes in a fire to cover up the thing Dokes gets blamed for the Bay Harbor butcher incident and obviously this becomes a, a sort of background tone a background plot element going into to multiple seasons further I, I really can't describe everything that happens in this season these seasons um, and I won't try to going forward because I will get stuck and this will end up being like five hours long and I don't want that um, 
but Leela gets killed. And so she as the major protect the, the, the other minor antagonist, the surviving antagonist to the end of the season is, uh, she's, she's, she's put down and, um, he follows her to Paris. He kills her. And that's sort of the end and things kind of wrap up cleanly, but Dexter is still, eh, there's a lot of, I don't know about him left over in, in, in the police department amongst a few, few different people. Um, and, and so from there we, we proceed to the season, season three, where we get to meet detective Joey Quinn. Who is, he's one of my favorite characters in this entire show. Um, and, and, and there's a, there's a, a lot of, a lot of other people. There's always people being introduced. I would say of the, the first four seasons, this is, the weakest of the original four. It's definitely the one I remember the least about. Um, it's the one with Miguel Prado. Um, at the beginning of it, Dexter find he's hunting one person. That person sort of gets away, and then another person attacks him and with a knife. And Dexter takes the knife, kills that guy, and that guy is Oscar Prado, who's the brother of Miguel Prado, uh, the the assistant DA and one of LaGuerta's old. Um, a lot of stuff happens. Dexter and Miguel start to becoming, start to become friends. Right. And it's like, can I teach him the code? Would he do this stuff? Also like, it's great having Miguel on his, uh, side because they can work together. The main serial killer in this season is the Skinner who, um, skins his victims alive. We find out later that he's, um, some sort of cartel assassin hitman. I, I murder people in a scary way to keep people, um, from being crazy. Uh, the, the contention for this is that Miguel, uh, basically stops doing the code and he, he arrives at the first rule, um, hard lock faster than Dexter does and decides that maybe he should kill Guerta because the is starting to, um, figure him out. Uh, Miguel is also a lot less careful as far as I remember from this season, and a lot more personal about um, the killings and stuff. So he, he's, he's much more prone to make mistakes and he's a little off the rails. And so Dexter has to, um, Dexter has to kill him. And so he kills him. He sets it up as though the Skinner killed him. And then Dexter goes, finds the Skinner and uh, kills him too. Actually, yeah, the night before his wedding, Dexter is captured by the Skinner, but breaks free by taking advantage when he's blah, 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 blah. They fight. He snaps that dude's neck and makes it look like suicide. Oh, okay, cool. And then, um, yeah, so that's that's sort of the end of the third season. Like I said, it doesn't it doesn't really slap. You do get to you do get to meet Detective uh, Detective Quinn, who is my favorite guy ever. Quinn's wonderful. Quinn might be the most perfect human being to ever be added because Quinn all all of these characters in this are very they're very much characters in this show, and they are their own people. Uh, Angel Batista is is known for being. In in love with unavailable women, or or just like kind of hopelessly romantic, but also being sad. Like so, every time you see Angel Batista, he's always like, "Oh, come on, <laughs> like why not the passion?" <laughs> just just so fucking. He's always he's a miserable murder dad, and I, I love him for that. He's always uh, a step behind everybody else, and he kind of just does his job. Um, 
Deb is known for doing cursing and being extremely like uh, dedicated to stuff. Uh, Vince Masoka is a pervert who talks too much and irritates everybody. And uh, like LaGuerta is um, very, very passionate about her job. LaGuerta is kind of a bitch, you know, but um, she's also like a very dedicated to like the justice aspect of, of her career. And she most of her motivations are, are not tainted, but kind of uh, adultered in order to by her own by her own intent, adultered to fit the bureaucracy of, of Miami Metro. Uh, police department, which she's trying to rise up in the ranks of because she has that age old dream of, you know, if I play by the system's rules, eventually I'll get high enough in the system to change the system. And certainly before I arrive there, the system won't change me. But of course that's the, that's the ancient tragedy and, and, and she falls victim to it by the end. But um, Joey Quinn, Joey Quinn is fucking stupid. Joey Quinn's a fucking idiot and I love him. He's like a rich kid idiot who's also a cop and he says, I don't know. I just, I just think we should do that. Fuck, if it was me, I would have done it too. <laughs> he's hot and he's a fucking moron and I love him. I love Joey Quinn for that reason and he's he's perfect and uh, I, I refuse to accept anything less but we Joey Quinn gets added He's like a sus dude and stuff. Um, he gets a bunch of side plots that all are kind of pointless throughout the show, including at some point almost marrying Deb's uh, or Dexter's sister, Deborah. And uh, yeah, the season three, though, it doesn't really I don't think it really adds too much to the show. I feel like it was kind of like you could not have gone into season four directly. And so they really did need an intermediary season three to establish a lot of the things that will end up happening in season four. It's kind of good to show that Dexter should be alone. It does a lot of long-term plot establishment and, uh, and, and, and solidification. Um, it's just it's just not as strong as like literally a a, a ten season, a nine point five season, and then another ten season. Like, well, I would say actually, I would say season two is kind of like a probably like an eight, and then this season's like a f seven, but still like not bad. You know, like everything hits. It's just quality wise. If I had to be if I had to be really specific, yeah, it'd be ten, eight, seven, and then a ten bordering on like I don't know eleven. It, it, it doesn't go high enough. We get into Dexter season four, which I can almost remember beat for beat. It is perfect. It is a fucking amazing season. Um, and I refuse to ever watch it again. Uh, airing on October 24th, first of, oh no, sorry, 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 sorry. Airing in September of 2009, it ran until December 13th of 2009. I, I watched, this is the first season I ever got to watch, I got to watch um, as the episodes were coming out because this is right after I got out of the Marine Corps and before I started college. And so I had, um, I got to watch it. My parents had showtime at the time and I was just like, this is a miracle. Sleep on my parents' couch and watch Dexter. I'm glad I survived the war so that I could accomplish this one minor thing. <laughs> it was a big improvement in my life. I swear to God at the time, at least. 
But yeah, um, at this, uh, this 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 episode started airing, and this concerns the um, the Trinity Killer, who is without a doubt the best serial killer in the entire show, eclipsing I think even Dexter. This is John Lithgow's best role as far as anything I've ever seen him in, and it's fucking amazing. Um, Dexter has already gotten married to Rita in this, and he's they have a baby, they have baby Harrison, who obviously is major going into the future. And uh, Dexter still kills people, but now that he's a dad, the depth of his relationships has gone to a point where it's almost fucking impossible. You know, he's raising a kid now. Uh, the kids that Rita had before were not a big deal because they were older. They were, you know, like 10 and 12 or something, Cody and Aster. Uh, they're never particularly important in, in the show uh, as far as the longevity of the show is. I mean, in the new season, they're never even mentioned, which is weird. Um when you think about it. Now I'll, I'll get into that later, but obviously Rita's pissed at Dexter because you know, they're supposed to be living in her house, I believe, or no, they get their own house and they're supposed to be living in a house in domestic bliss, but he keeps his old condo um, on the waterfront where he has all of his fucking trophies and stuff. And probably a lot of his killing equipment and shit. And they, uh, they start having trouble. So as this uh, starts going on, they see that there's these vacation murders going. Special Agent Lundy comes back, blah, 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 blah. But then the Trinity Killer starts coming back. And they, so they start talking about this guy. The, the Trinity Killer is D John Lithgow. And he has this um, trick or this, 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 this setup that's very familiar to, uh, to Dexter. And, you know, it's like, a, okay, so like, this is how he's doing it. This is how he's doing it. This is how he's doing it. I'm kind of stumbling over this. I'm trying, I'm trying to simultaneously look at this plot summary and not, uh, and remember stuff and not, not mislead anybody about anything. But basically Dexter figures out that all of these, these killings are related and he figures out how to discover what's going to happen next or, or how to like potentially get in the way of the next killing. And he actually sees it happen and he sees the Trinity killer and, and catches him in the act. And he discovers that he's Arthur Mitchell, who is, he thinks is just going to be like, you know, every one of the other ones that he, he hunts down and kills lone guys, usually with a, a minor relationship, if that um, creepy living alone. But instead he finds out this guy's a husband, a father, a deacon. And uh, basically he works for Habitat Habitat for Humanity, bordering on retirement and uh, just does shit. And so Dexter kind of gets close to him and starts learning how to do stuff. Because at first he's like, this Arthur is like a, uh, how do you say it? Like it's a, it's all like an act to him and you know, he's going to see through the act, but he discovers that Arthur really like likes his family and shit. And so they kind of get this whole thing together and, uh, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. He finds out what Arthur's background is. They kind of get together and then they start hunting each other at some point. And, um, Dexter eventually tries to kill Trinity, you know, that's the setup. And in trying to kill him, he instead gets tricked by Trinity, who's like a little bit more. And then he figures out who Dexter really is, figures him all, his whole thing out. And uh, how do you say this? Basically, there's a lot of shit that happens. And the, the last two episodes are really, really complicated. Dexter thinks that he's got him. 
and that he's going to kill him before you can do anything else. But once he finds him, because Dexter has been taken to jail and stuff and in, in the meantime, um, he kills Trinity and Trinity's like, Oh yeah, you think you're a bad bitch, but you're not. And then when he gets out and actually answers his call from Rita, he, um, gets a voicemail from her and then finds out that she's dead in a bathtub when he gets home because uh, Trinity had gotten to her first. And then he finds Harrison on the floor in a gigantic puddle of blood. And at this point we kind of get into like one of the last seriously amazing parts of the show, which is like Dexter just absolutely got trounced, absolutely got trounced by this older dude who didn't really have that much to live for anyway. You know, I think even at the end I can't remember if I can figure this out exactly. I think Arthur, no, no, he does not get away with it, but I think he might think he does. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody figures out that he's the, uh, he's the killer at the end. I couldn't remember if it was there. There was a, a, a thing in there, but the more, most important part is that, you know, Dexter gets beat. The, his son gets sat in a, big ass puddle of blood. And then, um, we, we end the season and like at the end of season four, it's just fucking amazing. Like that's great. It, it's just really told very well. And I enjoy it. I, I, I'm kind of stumbling for words at this point. And then we get into, uh, the last seasons and honestly, season five through seven are kind of weak Season five and six, I can barely keep separated in my head. Um, yeah. What the fuck even is this? Sir? Did you say you call it? Yeah. And he's, he's kind of going over like uh, he's getting maybe blamed for Rita's thing and he's having all kinds of problems. There's a killer called the Santa Muerte killer. Um, da, 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 da. He almost gets arrested for some stuff. Like I said, I can barely fucking remember this. I don't even remember who the end person is at this. Oh yeah. It's some corrupt cop, which is not as great. And um, also it should be noted that at this point in the show, Dexter had been, or the actual show runner for Dexter had, had quit at the end of season four. And we switched to a new guy who ran it for one season, put out this season, which I can't, even fucking, I can't remember thing one about this, so I'm not even going to try to get into it. I, I'm pretty sure some stuff happens, but literally nothing comes up in the very last two seasons that I can remember. So it's really not worth going into. I think this might be the season, either this one or the next one, where Rita's kids are just like, okay, you guys can't even be in the show anymore. Because Dexter's supposed to be taking care of Cody and Aster um, and Harrison, their younger brother, but then he's just like, nah, fuck that. And eventually he just gets rid of them and sends them to go live with like their parents or some shit. Uh, and, and I, I can't really remember. Um, yeah. So that, I think that happens during this because the next one starts with Batista's sister, Jamie, who is, uh, she's great. She, um, becomes Harrison's babysitter. So she's like the only woman in Dexter's life. He has to kind of answer to her and Deb to a degree. Um, and, and this is, I think the last, yeah, this is the very last good season. This is the one that I would give the killer like an eight, like a hard eight. Cause it's really interesting. This is the apocalypse killer, um, who does all this super Catholic stuff. The guy's played by, um, what not, the, the less, the least cringy 
of the Hanks of Tom Hanks kids. I think it's Colin Hanks. Am I, am I right? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wait, what the hell? Is that not him? I thought it was Colin Hanks. Oh yeah, it is. It is. Count Colin Hanks is a, is Travis Marshall. There we go. They have the, the 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 casting set up in a very weird way. 
Um, yeah, so he's the, the it's the doomsday killers or whatever, and and it's pretty interesting. They leave signs of the apocalypse everywhere and stuff, and uh, it, it's cool. He follows him around and kind of gets close to this dude, like always, and the guy's fucking insane. Quinn proposes to Deborah, but she doesn't want to go out with him, uh, and it's Quinn's just drunken baby, and it's uh. I don't know. It, this is the seasons where it kind of starts to fall apart. And a lot of the Dexter with other people stuff stops making any goddamn sense. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of the other people have to get like, just to justify these characters staying in the show. They have to get all these side problems or all these, uh, these sort of like very complicated side hack things going on. And so like these like relationships, type things start being a major uh a major part of the show so you know like the joey wants to go out with this person and this person wants to go to this person and um and yeah and then it ends with dexter killing travis the the apocalypse killer but the most irritating plot contrivance in the entire show starts coming up and it is Deborah loves Dexter. And then we get into season seven. Uh, that's kind of like one of the last revelations like, Oh yeah, you're in love with your stepbrother, which is very weird because their relationship is very brother sisterly and Dexter shows her no interest and there's no reason for her to really be, sexually interested in Dexter or like romantically interested in him other than it just sort of shows up. I don't know. It kind of comes out of nowhere. Like they have a very close relationship, but um, there's really nothing in my mind other than like she's traumatized that should make her want to be. And it's so gross and like, that you don't really want to get into it. And it sets up the worst season in the show season seven um, that I fucking hated. And I can barely remember anything about this except for Hannah McKay, who is uh, Dexter's kind of like, finally he has a rebound girl and she's a serial killer. Hannah McKay is a uh, poisoner. She's a lady poisoner and, and she, she poisons people and that's the whole thing. I appreciate that. Um, I've been looking through the Wikipedia's as we're going so that I can make sure I check off and hit the major plot points. Um, Wikipedia is updated by fans and people that really care about the show. Every single season up until this season has had something on the side that says plot and it's had like a good six to eight paragraph plot breakdown. This one has the minimum shit. It doesn't have the plot in there. It just kind of has a, a quick description of it and then the episode descriptions. Nothing really matters in this. Um, it, it just sets up the last season and it sets it up so clumsily that I can't really remember anything. There's a lot of side drama. There's a lot of extra. There, there's, there's just a lot of shit going on because all of these unresolved plot threads from earlier seasons are still bouncing off of each other. And the writing had gone downhill in the past few seasons and uh, a bad writer will never 
spend the 20 minutes you need to think about how to end a plot thread, but they will spend two seconds starting up one that's just good enough to make you forget about that ended, that, that, that untied off thread. And so this season's kind of full of people trying to tie off threads and, and, and do this and do that and do this and do that. And so by the time you get to the end of it, you're like, what in the fuck is going on? And people are acting completely out of character for absolutely unjustifiable reasons. Functionally, Dexter sort of falls in love with, falls in love with Hannah, and she sort of like tricks him or something. Quinn's got some extra shit going on because fucking he's in a bad mood because Deborah broke up with him. Uh, Angel Batista and LaGuerta are starting to get like romantic. I think they get married uh, at some point during all of this bullshit. Um, LaGuerta reopens the Bay Harbor butcher investigation on her own recognizance because she wants to follow up on some stuff and because she can't really get close. Um, <laughs> she can't get close. She starts doing extra legal shit like Dokes did. And, and LaGuerta is not telling this person about that and that person about this. And people aren't telling anybody. No one's talking to anybody else because if anyone had a conversation for five minutes, that was completely explicit there would be no fucking plot happening because all the plot has to be like, this person's not talking about this. And this person got really mad because they didn't call that person first. Listen, just one of these, just one of these fucking episodes. Uh, Goddamn. What the fuck? The phantom arsonist continues his spree across Miami. I didn't, I don't even know what the fuck the phantom art, phantom arsonist. I can't even remember who that person is in this hand. Hand is a strange ex con father. Clint McKay guest star, Jim Beaver shows up unexpectedly giving Ch- Hannah a childhood relic that only disturbs her. Clint asks for money for a crawfish business. Dexter and Hannah tell Clint no. And Clint leaves in a rage. Clint returns later drunk, crashing his truck into Hannah's greenhouse. Dexter identifies the phantom, but decides to hand him over to the department instead of killing him, as Dexter promised to Deborah. Quinn confronts George at the Foxhole Club. George threatens to send Nadia to a sex club in the Middle East, and then begins punching Nadia. Quinn, enraged, shoots and kills him, and then has Nadia shoot him with George's gun to falsify, falsify a motive. Batista, outside the room of the shooting, knows that the timeline doesn't stand, doesn't add up. Meanwhile, LaGuerta and Matthews discover another connection between Dexter and the Bay Harbor Butcher murders. Dexter kills Hannah's father after learning it was Clint who, sold, who told Sal Price all the details for his books on Hannah and was using another secret to blackmail Dexter. What in the fuck? <laughs> so much shit going on. There's so many side plots. So, okay, I remember that side plot is like at the beginning of this because Quinn needs something to do, but it's completely unrelated to the title of the show, Dexter, except for like these tangential, like, oh, because I was investigating this thing at this time, I happened to walk through a door at the same time and see somebody happening. But it's not, that's not indicative of, of cohesive, connective plot structure like that's happening in tandem. That's just Quinn's doing shit. And then somebody's reaching out a hand and gently dragging this one of these many floating turds back to the main turd mass that is the fucking Hannah McKay Dexter. Deborah triangle of murder and, 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 and sex and confession bullshit at this time. Quinn is, it falls in love or like, or something. This is when, this is the season, by the way, where fucking uh, the actor that plays Quinn just gets hilariously skinny for no reason. He shows up like skull, like, which you don't respect him. He's trying to get in shape. I, I get it. But all people just body mutations left and right in the show, just changing shape, which is always weird. Cause like, I, this isn't a thing about body positivity. I respect if you want to lose weight, if you want to gain weight, that's fine. But 
if you're in a show where a character starts looking different, all of a sudden you have to do something. You have to tell someone about why with Deb, it makes sense. Cause when she loses a lot of weight, she's in like a bad way and she just runs all the time. She's like a cardio monster. Fair. I guess dokes could have been like, dokes is probably just working out anyway. Cause he's a fucking ex jarhead or whatever the fuck. But then like Quinn just shows up and he's just like mad skinny for some reason. It's like, is he fucking like racked out on drugs or what? Like he looks like he picked up either like a fucking meth habit or an ultra marathon running habit. Like one of the two, I might be completely out of my mind on this, but that's one of the things I remember. It's just like, what the fuck? Why does he look so different? Especially cause he's like around angel Batista who is like literally so fucking like ageless and like perfect that when he shows up uh, spoilers, or say, I remember I warned you spoilers when he shows up in the new season for a couple like guest roles, all of a sudden it's like, wait, what the fuck? He looks exactly the same. Like even now, 15 years of angel Batista. Perfect. He's perfect. He's got his little hat. He's got his little beard. He's got his little fucking polo shirt on. It's going to be pink or light blue. Angel Batista. Angel Batista. Muy bueno. Me gusta. But, um, yeah, so, like, all, all this shit happens. Anyway, yeah, Quinn fucking starts dating whatever this this strip club chick, and she's involved in the fucking, this, all, all this crime business on the side, and he's just doing all of this stuff. And meanwhile, it's always Quinn, and Quinn's a fucking idiot. I love him. But he's always, I don't fucking know. You know I mean, maybe you need to get away from this life. I can't even do his voice. I can do it when I see him, but oh my God, maybe you need to get away from this life. I, I don't fucking know. If I would been at Bay Harbor Butcher, I might've done the same fucking thing. I don't fucking know. <laughs> fucking Quinn, dude. He's the shit. Um, but then we get into the end of this and it's just so, it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. It's absolutely the wrong thing to do. This is where the show fucks up as it was running every possible good potential thread tying ending up and it gives us the the last season which is really one of the things i wanted to talk about the second to last season the penultimate season of dexter which was for a long time the last season of dexter which is a piece of shit anyway in this last this seven season finale I'll just read the thing. Dexter visits Hannah in prison because he set up Hannah for whatever reason. I guess he didn't want to kill her. She's just still a piece of shit. Uh, LaGuerta finds Dexter at home and arrests him. The Dexter is shocked as they take Dexter in cuffs to interrogate him. LaGuerta lays out her evidence, but is thwarted as Dexter planted it and made it look like LaGuerta framed him. Dexter finds Hector, Hector Estrada's ex-wife and tells her to find Hector. I can't remember who the fuck this is. Matthews, oh, I, I do, sort of. I know why he's there at the end, but it's, who gives a shit? Matthews confronts LaGuerta. That's the, the head of the police department and tells her to apologize to Dexter. She confronts Dexter with a surveillance video implicating her in Travis Marshall's death that was originally lost. Um, Deborah lies to LaGuerta. Dexter breaks into LaGuerta's house and finds a warrant that would tie Deborah and himself to Travis Marshall's murder. Dexter decides that only way out is to kill LaGuerta. He finds and kills Estrada, then lures LaGuerta to the scene to kill her. Worried, Deborah leaves Batista's New Year's party after figuring out LaGuerta's location and walks in on Dexter, Hector's body, and LaGuerta passed out. She wakes up, urges Deborah to shoot Dexter, but Deborah shoots and kills LaGuerta instead. Deborah shouldn't have shot anybody. This is, it's fucking insane. So it's at this point where like we are completely divorced from the, the characters that were originally there. Um, 
it's it's kind of hard to explain, but I'm going to try anyway. First off, like Laguerta is um, great. I, I actually love the Laguerta character. I love to hate her. She's fun. She's always supposed to be a counterpoint to actually like Deb and the department. Like as a, a basically like I'm the one that doesn't let you get the money. You got to talk to me. Usually a lot of the times LaGuerta is like a pain in the ass is because she's like, well, you need fucking evidence if you want to make an arrest. And like, you need to work harder on this thing because you guys aren't making arrests. Shit like that, you know? And she's great in that that capacity. Her, as an enemy to Dexter, should have been uh, one of extreme competence. But instead, for some reason in this season, and it irritated me even when I saw it when it came out, LaGuerta tries to pursue him individually for some reason like she's always trying to be like a street cop again even though she's like an older woman right um which respect it's not like older women can't do anything but it's like you're you're he's fucking an in-shape serial killing dude so you shouldn't be pursuing him in the dark alone and also like when was the last time you hand arrested tackled somebody like what if you do find him doing the thing like you're gonna have to shoot him and it's so far you've got no police department support and you're not working to your strengths which is understanding the bureaucracy bureaucracy and making it work for her and that that it's insane to me that you would reduce her to being like a street level cop when she's an extremely competent bureaucrat and a, a, a talented former detective. She should be approaching it opposite the way that Dokes did, which is that's what really pisses me off. So she is basically picking up where Dokes left left off. To point out how worthless the seasons before this season kind of are, um, you could stick this season functionally right after season four to a degree and still arrive at the same thing while losing almost nothing of value in the seasons before you can maybe just put one, get rid of season five entirely, entirely and uh, alter season six drastically append that in there. And then you get into this season and it's going to be much tighter and much more direct. And it would make more sense too, because the amount of time it takes for her to get back on the Dokes is dead thing after that was in season fucking two. And then like all of these other things happened since. And like, they never really, really are a hundred percent sure that Dokes Dokes was the Bay Harbor butcher, you know? And like, there's enough, there's enough, evidence in my mind that they should have been able to find that would suggest that like dokes was like set up like that's just as much of a a likely thing and i think maybe there's some sort of bureaucratic explanation for it at the time but if she had so much faith in him whatever in any case the way that she approaches it should be sort of as the smarter version of dokes dokes went out directly confronting Dexter in real life, trying to beat his ass at points to just get him to confess and then getting his hand ass handed to him because he was a cocksure, really in amazing shape, street level detective. That's what he did. He solved, he tried to solve the issue of the Bay Harbor butcher as detective James Stokes by going out there, cracking skulls, talking to people, taking names and doing all this other shit. That's not what LaGuerta is good at, which is why she rose up so much higher in the department. She's good at understanding the department. Her entire thing should have been understanding her, her, she shouldn't have even fucked with Dexter. Dexter should have barely even known that she was looking into him until it was like almost way too late. And like, if he got tipped off, it should have been because of 
people like Matthews, who's above LaGuerta, tipping him off to some degree and being like, hey, you need to watch out. LaGuerta's after you over this thing. We're going to try to figure it out, blah, 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 blah. But then have LaGuerta like literally breaking rules that she knows that people, she's got dirt on them. Like LaGuerta's like, okay, you're the HR rep. I don't give a fuck because I know that in 2002, you took $4,000 out of the child's new year fund. And you know who never told anyone about it? Me. Because I knew one day I was going to be here and I was going to have to put you in your fucking place and make you do detective work. And now I'm calling in my favor. And just have her fucking calling in her favors and breaking the rules and understanding the bureaucracy and really just show how a fucking smart, talented, and hard-working woman she is. Like, she's a great character. Everyone doesn't like her because she's good at her fucking job, which is great. But they don't let her shine for that, and it drives me fucking insane. And if I had a chance to write a character like her, that's how I would have her doing it. She wouldn't even fucking talk to Dexter. Why? Because James Dokes was her detective on the ground, and she's above him. He did the investigations, and everything that he deduced, she can just go ahead and quickly try to see if, like, can that be falsified? It can't. Can that be falsified? It can't. And just grinding it in the background. And then once it gets time to like start looking for it, then she has to start leaning on people that are close to him. Get Quinn involved. And then Quinn will have something to fucking do other than like chase prostitutes on the mean streets of Miami and shoot drug dealers. Like this is some sort of fucking... I, I don't even know Miami weak Miami vice knockoff episode that lasts three fucking four fucking episodes of time worth. And we give him a lot more to do. Um, you can even have Batista being like, I don't know if our relationship's going to work because you won't tell me what you're working on, you know, and like why you're doing this and stuff instead of like, she's going too hard on Dexter. She's just not telling him. And then it would be even, even interesting because then you have LaGuerta as a counterpoint to Dexter doing all the same sort of stuff that Dexter does being almost a vigilante being, uh, going behind the scenes, going behind the department's back, undermining some investigations and stuff just so that she can catch him and make him stand trial. How fucking dope would that be? But because and, and at the end, the big victory could be fucking LaGuerta accepting Matthew's resignation and her rising into his place. And then we can start the se- the eighth season, the final season that always should have been. And it always should have been the people versus Dexter Morgan. We're getting we're getting into I'm so pissed. I'm freaking out. I'm losing my mind. I'm sorry. Let me get back on track. I've calmed down. Tonight's the night. You see them out there thinking about things, going about their normal lives. But somewhere out there is a monster. A monster who wants blood. And is it me? Or is it somebody else? (laughs) Once you start hearing this, you can't not just try to do a Dexter monologue. One of my favorite things is to just try to mix up the Dexter monologues with the You monologues from the the, the series You on Netflix. Hello, You. He's going to hunt again. Another woman. Another pretty girl, but this time in Paris. You think you've gotten a lot with you've gotten a lot you've gotten away with a lot. Joe Greenberg. But maybe tonight's the night. You find out that you are what I'm looking for. <laughs> oh my gosh. But with all that aside, um we get into season eight of Dexter. And, um, I almost don't even, I just kind of, let me just go, I'll do a break. So season eight is about 
the end of the show. I like it's the best way to say it. Quinn is dating Jamie, who's Batista's um, hot sister um, and Dexter's babysitter. And um, there's a new serial killer in town called the Brain Surgeon that scoops hunks of brains out. He's pretty much, um, you know, a little display killer trying to get a, a, as a throwback to the old days. The entire season concerns itself with Deborah being really, really um, conflicted, I guess you would say, about um, murdering LaGuerta in cold blood, their cover-up of that murder, some of the subsequent minor investigations into it. I can't remember how they covered it up, but they do it. They, they not only do they cover it up, but they cover it up effectively. Like, that's all you really need to know. And... Um, Dexter gets introduced with um, Dr. Vogel or Professor Vogel, I can't know, Evelyn Vogel, who um, is a extremely unsettling, unsettling looking woman uh, played by Charlotte Rampling. She's got um, she's got a great face for being a murder lady. Um, and, and it's unfortunate because they never use her to the appropriate effect. Uh, basically this season is an absolute clusterfuck. There's a lot of dog shit, secondary characters that are introduced and, and, and explicated. Um, I, I actually gave up watching the show. I didn't even realize this like two or three episodes into this season. Um, things are started and stopped. A lot of time is just wasted. There's so many things, so many different things they could have done with the show during this that they just absolutely or the season that they absolutely refused to do or 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 didn't do and I'll, I'll end up describing i'll talk about the season um i might talk about my 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 plans to fix it but what i really want to talk about after that is my idea for a season eight which would have i which I, where it always should have ended and i i refuse to accept any other variants and that is the people versus dexter morgan but um I digress. The The season follows Dexter hunting down serial killers that we find out Evelyn Vogel basically made. She experimented on children as a psychologist slash psychiatrist, whatever the fuck, a behavioral specialist, I guess is technically what you would call her. Um, and there was like disturbed children would be brought to her. And instead of alleviating their sociopathic tendencies, she basically amplified them in an effort to create like uh, perfect specimens of people. I, I can't, it's odd for me to imagine that there were people that were writing the last season of this that were either happy about what they were doing or knew that what they were doing. If I had to guess, if I had to get the most generous um, thing would be to say that Showtime stopped making as much money on Dexter as a draw as they thought they would. And we're like, all right, I guess we should just end it because our, our things are down. And, but we want to end it in a certain way and it has to be an open ending just in case we want to bring it back. And everyone's just like, what in the fuck are you talking about? And honestly, I could even, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll even give you the people versus Dexter Morgan in a way where they could have brought it back. Um, the whole Vogel thing is fucking dumb. Um, it starts off good. It starts off good. So basically she made Dexter. She gave Harry the code, taught Harry the code to teach to Dexter so that he could pursue serial killing in a, a healthy manner. I guess you would say, I don't know how to fucking say that correct, but, um, 
that that was her whole thing. And she did it with a bunch of other kids, all whom become became serial killers as well. And for some reason, there's at least three of them living in fucking Miami Metro at the time. These characters are introduced, investigated, and killed usually in the episode that they're brought up in, if not one episode later, as Dexter tries to find the fucking uh, brain surgeon killer who scoops little fucking balls of brain matter out of people and, and puts them in a pot. Um, Evelyn Vogel is very cagey and a better version of this would see her as either a serial killer or a mastermind. And she is ultimately delivered up as neither Dexter, uh, develops a surrogate son in the, uh, character of what when the fuck does this kid even get introduced it's like in the third episode um where the fuck Wait, fourth maybe cameras and it's the kid that takes cameras i don't know what, what the hell what the hell no that's yates oh my god zach there we go Fuck it in the fifth episode, a surrogate son. It's so deep. It's so deep into the season. This kid named Zach is basically is, is introduced um as the he he probably killed some girl um because she was whatever in some sort of relationship with his dad and it was bad and then he was gonna kill his dad and Dexter stopped him and Dexter was gonna kill him. But then instead he doesn't and he's like, I'm going to teach this kid the code and then maybe he can be like me and I'll have like a surrogate son instead of like Harrison killing people. Uh, it, it, it fucking starts bad and it goes nowhere. The kid I actually like the character, the, the, he starts off and it's, it's definitely indicative of bad writing. I think maybe he was, they were setting up Dexter actually killing a kid. Um, he's, you know, in his late teens, but still. Then they decide not to do that. Um, he starts off as a psycho, and then he becomes very endearing as a uh, as a child serial killer in the last episodes that he's even in. Uh, and then he's unsanctimoniously killed off um, because the writers didn't know what to do with him anymore. Deborah has to deal. Deborah's a fucking alcoholic and constantly is fighting with whether or not to tell on Dexter. Um, at one point she's drunk at the police station and shouts out about it. And Quinn's like, stop talking about stupid shit like that. But Quinn is Quinn. He's too stupid. He thinks she's just talking shit. Not that Dexter's really the Bay Arbor butcher. Ah, fucking fire. Um, God damn it. Uh, Quinn does stuff. Quinn, the, the, the entire secondary plot. There's three secondary plots in this that go fucking absolutely nowhere. But I think they're just introduced so that people can have like some sort of like payoff in the end uh batista's sister dates quinn quinn wants to become a sergeant and go for sergeant this um one uh black woman who i can't really remember in the previous seasons and doesn't have much of a role here other than as a foil to um quinn which is very unfair to her because the actress is not bad at all and she really does do her best in the scenes that she's allowed to be in Though they are far and few between, she's very competent at her job and wants to become sergeant. There's one sergeant position available. It's between her and Quinn. Quinn is trying to nepotism into the spot, but he's also extremely fucking stupid. <laughs> so he can't pass the test. He studies for the test and then they're like, hey, lose evidence or do some illegal thing to 
uh, help this investigation and make the department look good. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. And he does it. And then like some other political shit happened. And then they're like, okay, no, actually you're not going to get it. And then he doesn't get it. And that the, 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 the black lady gets it. And then she's basically not in the show at all after that, which is crushingly rude. And um, basically she's just put up as like, a, Oh, isn't it sad when, when black women don't get, the parts that they deserve, even though they're qualified. And then they're like, Oh no, she did get it. But now she's not going to be in the show anymore. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Oh my God. I, I think she does. She does like some stuff. She gets to like talk every time she talked in a scene. I was like, yes, fucking get it girl. Don't let them, don't let them fucking sideline you. And then they sidelined her and she fucking vanished so that Quinn could wander around hunting this Zach guy on the side. Oh, man. I think he did it. I just have a feeling. I can't prove it, but I want to do it. And even Dexter's like, wow, Quinn, you're a fucking idiot. Everyone can see you following this kid. <laughs> oh, God. So Quinn is just a non-entity. Um, he reconciles with Jamie, and then he breaks up with Jamie and tries to get back with Deb. And then Deb is like, nah, dude, I'm in love with my brother. And then Quinn's just like, okay, I guess I'm just going to be a fucking useless idiot. And I can't remember what the fuck happens with them after that. Batista's cool. I think most of the the thing with Quinn being a dick is that it is like an, a radioactive element that provides uh, sparks of 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 uh, power in which to irritate Jamie so that she just has constant reasons that Dexter has to get back home in time, has to go see Harrison, has to do this. So it's like this, it's like these non-conflicts that are really just like about time. They're all time relative. Hey, he needs to do this thing on a deadline. Oh, there's a small amount more of, of, uh, of intensity, right? So the whole, t the whole like last season really is like this constant ticking clock. I mean, literally the last three episodes or whatever are a ticking clock of, am I going to get to this place in time? Is everything going to get wrapped up before a gigantic hurricane comes and destroys fucking Miami? Um, and it's all bullshit. Uh, the, the, the Dr. Vogel thing gets progressively more interesting before it just takes a giant dump on itself. The only revelation that should have ever been acceptable would have been Vogel was the brain surgeon all along and was just so manipulative that she had each one of the other ones killing each other before whatever the fuck. And now she has to clean up slate, clean slate because there's investigation or she's having a new book or something some sort of relevance to this. Maybe just all the other ones were failures and the brain surgeon one was a failure too. And she wants to clean them up because she likes Dexter the best. And that would have made sense because she's portrayed the entire time and acted. I, the, the, the actress that plays her could not have known anything going forward in the scripts because she is clearly playing to the script of every episode is every episode. She has like a different feel to her where like the script writers are like, well, actually what's going to happen is this. And then we think this is going to happen. So she's like, all right, I'm going to do my best to do that. So instead of having a cohesive whole season wide script, she's just episode by episode having more stuff revealed about the character while not knowing where the character is going. So she's at one time, like definitely I'm going to be the killer to the next episode being like, maybe, I'm just a father or a mother figure to Dexter. And then it's like, no, I'm also, I'm definitely the killer, but also I have these other, and it's just this really confusing thing. The actress does her best with it. Dexter, uh, Michael C. Hall as Dexter is doing his fucking best the entire time with just this absolute fucking runny diarrhea of fucking scripts that they're being 
force fed. Uh, I've never really liked Deb's actress that much. I think she's good. She's good in that thing. I think actually I just don't like Deb's character very much. She's not terrible. Um, she's just, uh, she just was created in a way that she either can't grow or she can't be that same character. Uh, which is kind of like a lockout. I think that's what I'm trying to articulate. Uh, Jennifer Carpenter, who plays her, is perfectly fine. Um, it's just when she's on screen, I guess she just has to be irritating because they write irritating shit for her. So I, I apologize, actually. Jennifer Carpenter, you're the shit. Um, it's the script's fault, not yours, which is 100% true. Um, so that gets deeper. And then all of a sudden, fucking Hannah McKay shows back up. And that's in, like, whatever, season six. And it's like, okay, Hannah McKay's back, everybody. And they're like, what? Like, oh, yeah, I guess she escaped from prison and now she's back and she's living with a billionaire on a yacht. And that's weird because the billionaire beats her, even though he knows he, she's a serial killer that poisons people. He's just going to have her live on his yacht unattended. So obviously he dies within 10 seconds of being fucking uh, it put into the show. Every fucking minor plot convenience gets wrapped up episode by episode because I guess someone's like, they were like, Hey, here's a, what you have to write in a script. Here's what's going to start. And here's how with the episode before it ends. And here's now the next episode starts and just write whatever comes to mind. Here's like three ideas. And they weren't even in the same room with each other. Um, then at some point, let's see where, where the fuck, where the fuck is it? Where the fuck is it? Oh yeah, there's a marshal that gets showed up. He's he's useless. Um, Dexter decides to move to Argentina with Hannah and Harrison and running away because everybody's looking at him. So he quits. He quits Miami Metro. And at some point, Saxon. There we go. Where is he? So at one point in this, I can't even find the dude's name. Um, Vogel's literal son. Saxon, I guess Saxon Vogel, um, who was given up for adoption or something. She, he was put in a home because he strangled her other son to death or something. I can't remember. It's that bad. I can't remember. And I saw this. I This season I actually watched um, start to finish just a month or two ago. I guess three months ago, right before the uh, new season started airing. And it was rough um this guy just gets introduced out of nowhere and he is not in or a killer in the the previous ones basically like he's sort of around but like one of the main points is that the the killer should be around in real life like irl so that you can kind of get a a feel for him or or something but he's like literally introduced when they're, they're like she had vogel had a son and then like the next scene, it's this dude you've never seen before. And we're more than halfway, more than halfway through the entire season. So Saxon gets to fucking be in this and he's kind of great. His, he's a really convincing serial killer. Honestly, like the character is wonderful. He's portrayed amazingly because I think he didn't have much to do. So the, the guy that played him could just be like, literally he's handsome, tall, He's got a very blank, distant smile. He looks like a fucking, like a realtor or like a Wall Street guy. And so he looks like a fucking absolute sociopath who would just be getting away with it for years. Should be a perfect counterpoint to Dexter, but he's not. They fucking eventually trap him and kill him. No, they actually, they trap him and don't kill him because Deb is like weird about it. He breaks out of his fucking chains because Dexter has to run away. He shoots Deb. 
And then uh, Deb fucking goes down and like is fine for a bit. Deb goes to the hospital. Dexter's like in trouble because he's being stalked by. Oh yeah, the, he, Dexter's being stalked by some U.S. marshal who doesn't even know that Dexter is a murderer. He just thinks that Dexter rightfully thinks that Dexter's harboring Hannah, the fuck Hannah McKay, who's a fugitive from justice. The the marshal runs in right after Deb gets shot and he gets shot to death. Or no, no, he runs in after them. Dexter runs away. The marshal lets Saxon off the table. Saxon stabs the marshal to death. And the marshal's like, what? And then he takes the marshal's gun, shoots Deb in the fucking kidney. Uh, Deb shoots him and then he runs away. Deb goes to the hospital and um, she's in serious trouble. Deborah's like, Dex is like, I'm sorry. And then Dexter is going to try to get Hannah and Harrison, whatever the fuck. Yeah. Like, God, this all happens in the last episode too. It's insane. So Deborah survives a surgery and then goes brain dead. She has a stroke. Um, and then Dexter meets Saxon in a interrogation cell and like provokes him into attacking him so that Dexter can stab him in the neck and kill him. And then fucking Saxon dies. Angel and Quinn are like, ah, you know what? We saw that like literally flatly watched you fucking murder a guy in cold blood, but we're cool with it. And then the show fucking ends. Oh, by the way, at some point, um, Saxon had killed Zach and Vogel. It doesn't fucking matter. It's stupid. They, They die stupidly. It's fucking dumb. Then the, the the show ends with this uh, heartfelt music and blah, 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 blah. Dexter gets Deb out of the hospital during a massive evacuation ahead of Hurricane Laura and puts her on his boat, the, what do you call it, stab at life or whatever the fuck it is, and uh, floats off toward the hurricane and his boat is shown destroyed and people see him in the paper later and it's Dexter Morgan declared dead and everyone's all sad about it. And then the credits roll and you see him working as a lumberjack and everyone's just like, wow, that was fucking stupid. And I remember at the time being like, I, this is the fucking worst thing I've ever, I've ever fucking seen. Um, the, the the show is so the last season is so fucking underwhelming that if you look at just the viewing numbers, um, it starts off at like two point four eight million, and then just in the middle of the season when the dumb shit starts to happen, yeah, after the Zach thing and after Hannah McKay, literally, so the Hannah McKay episode where she shows up at the end of it had two point two one million, and it that was such a stupid reveal that it went to one point nine million the next episode and stayed low for a few episodes before. Everybody showed up and 2.8 million watched the, uh, watched the finale, which is, you know, I guess that's cool. That's cool. Um, and yeah, that was Dexter. That, that was the end of Dexter for a long time. And so I hated that. I hated that ending. I still hate it. Um, it's bad. In, in my opinion, in, in one way to even just fix this season just directly and even keep most of the characters and the revelations and shit – have Vogel be there and have her introduce Saxon early, you know, and say that he's the, the fucking melon baller killer <laughs> and, um, or, or something like that and have it just very flatly stated that she made Dexter and Saxon and they're both supposed to be great. And like, they know about each other after a, a degree and that she made Dexter and that it's 
incumbent on him to move to the next stage of his evolution, which is to forgo any pretense of a normal life and, and embrace his sociopathy, sociopathy, um, the way that Saxon did and make Saxon like a really success, make Saxon like a fucking, like a playboy billionaire stock market manipulator who also kills people on the weekend and just lives the life and just be like, this is what you could be doing if you were not following Harry's code so strictly. I'm sorry. I gave you Harry's code before refining it and making the code that I gave him, which is basically like indulge in all of your fantasies, but first don't get caught and a much more stringent set of behaviors to ensure that people are alone and isolated and blah, 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 blah. And so just have him be much more successful and then like have Dexter like try to figure out his life in relation to the life he could be living or something like that and bring back stuff like, like fucking Brian and shit and then have him, you know, hunting the most elite serial killer with all of this information and, and money at his disposal and, and, and something like that. You know what I mean? But fuck all of that. This season is cursed. It is not good. And it is bad. The only way to end Dexter with the original endings is Dexter versus the people, which I've, or the people versus Dexter Morgan, which I've always, I've always thought the fucking show was going to end. What do I mean by that? The end of season seven should be Dexter gets fucking arrested. Deb should arrest Dexter with LaGuerta and be like, I knew it, whatever. Dexter Morgan, you're under arrest and have him just be like, okay, that's fine. You know, whatever that have that handled, however it's handled, but that's what should fucking happen. And like maybe Deb gets kicked off the force and then she starts drinking and becomes a private investigator and finds out in all honesty, she should find out that adopting Harrison and living with Harrison and maybe moving the fuck away from Florida and her kind of toxic dependent relationship with Dexter that Dexter always fostered to be dependent and sort of toxic and based on lies is bad for her. And then she can go live in fucking New York with Harrison and be like a single mom private detective at some major agency, which is a plot thing in, in, in season eight and have like uh, Quinn move up there and be Quinn and be a fucking idiot and be like, all right, I know we're never going to have a relationship, but uh, you know, I know the city like the back of my hand and I got some good places to take you if you ever want to go. And she's like, it's never going to get good between us. She's like, all right, all right, all right. But I still have feelings for you. And she's like, shut the fuck up. Like, all right, all right. But the most important thing about the people versus Dexter Morgan is Dexter Morgan on trial with everybody finally able to confront the horrors of the Bay Harbor butcher that, which is what you've been setting the entire thing up for from the beginning. Like that's the point of having such good characters is one day they're going to find out about Dexter. We know everything about Angel Batista, everything about Maria LaGuerta, everything about Vince Masoka, everything about fucking Joey Quinn. We know almost everything about James Dokes and he died in the fucking end of the second fucking season. All of these people are around. I wonder who I'm, I'm, I'm accidentally forgetting that everyone, people will be pissed off about, but fuck it. Fuck it. The people versus Dexter Morgan, right? The Miami Metro, Police department is in upheaval. Why? Because fucking Matthews has quit head hung in shame because this maverick fucking Maria LaGuerta, who really never thought that she would like in, in her heart, she never thought she would be able to pass 
or push forward sweeping police reforms, but this proof that the system was so broken that she had to work outside of it in order to arrest a person who knew the system was so broke he was murdering outside of it has kind of like opened people's eyes. And so there's Dexter in jail. And you can have the whole season where Dexter is fucking killing people in prison. How cool is that? Like, you know, there's an area like just imagine it's the always it's the lunchroom tray scene that you do in everything it's in fucking watchmen it's in the fucking wire it's in everything you walking out with a tray and he's like hey buddy you know you killed my fucking brother right he's like dexter's like you know he does the rorschach you're locked in here with me and fucking kills somebody and like maybe kills like a few people and then they put him in solitary and he's just and like he has to talk with his dark passenger who's harry and like kind of come to terms with the fact that like we always knew we would end up here because throughout the all of the seasons they're always like you know this is always going to end with you getting caught this is always going to end with you getting getting caught or getting killed getting caught or getting killed and he got caught and so now he has to live in solitary because he was in there for two seconds and uh, he was in there for two seconds and killed fucking like two people. Yeah. The Bay Harbor butcher has been arrested. News from Miami Metro Corrections today as Dexter Morgan is moved to full time maximum security after killing two inmates from the notorious Baraka clan. Uh you know, these two dudes were, were fucking hardcore known felons with multiple murders on their rap sheets, but only two days in prison. And Dexter Morgan has pushed their move towards the death penalty or has, has administered the death penalty himself. And then you can have all the talking heads on CNN, have Dexter like literally watching people talk about him on TV. How fucking fascinating would that be? I don't know how to feel about it. Um, Dexter Morgan was a was was this and that and and da, 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 and like have that just him in prison just the first four and then him like um, on trial be like the, the sort of like the last eight and like him going up. Deb doesn't look at him anymore and like Harry's, Harry's always like, she's never going to do anything da, 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 with you and all that sort of stuff. And uh, have like his interactions with his new lawyer could be absolutely fascinating. And the, the one thing that you're going to do, well, who's the big kill? What they don't know is that I always wanted to get here. And so it's Dexter in fucking maximum security under lockdown 23 hours a day can only get into the middle of the yard for one hour a day he can't kill the guards to get out he can't really do a lot of stuff but what can he do dexter morgan is he's got time he's got lock picking skills and he's a fucking sociopath so like the whole time he's just trying to kill whatever the one that always yeah, he's just walk, walking and he just sees this guy through the thing and they look, they meet eyes and the guy smiles at him and make him just uh, a stand-in for that one big fucker from California that just turned himself in. And, you know, they call him the cowboy and he's the one that rode away on me. And, like, they, they meet eyes walking slowly through, like, two layers of, like, you know, impenetrable glass. Back in 2003, I was on his trail following him. And I think he knew. He saw and so he turned himself in. And so he survived. But for how long? You know, and like uh, have, find out that through some sort of prosecut prosecutorial misconduct, um, the guy uh, ended up dodging the death penalty. So he's just going to live life in prison. Dexter's like, well, I don't have anything else to do. So like you just have the whole time Dexter trying to figure out 
and get through his stuff. While meanwhile, that guy's actually like real big friends with people in the prison. He has all these amenities because every few months he lets out where one, another one of his victims are and they, they go and they take him there. And so you see this guy coming back. That's, that can be the introduction, the cowboy. I see him again. And the guy's just eating. He's got a whole fucking pizza and he's like six, eight, you know, 335 pounds eating a pizza like the grossest way possible just holding the whole thing and just like letting grease drip onto his tongue and his mouth and just smiling at Dexter like and like licks the bottom of it children women nothing was too much for him and now he's here eating as much as he can living off the land and the people (laughs) like well fuck yeah dude oh my god and so that, that that can just be the whole thing I don't know how he's going to get to him, but fucking fuck yeah. But most importantly, like, how does this affect, like, how does Vince Masoka, like, what happens to him? Like, have Vince write a fucking book, like, next door to the killer. My my years working uh, homicide with Dexter Morgan and things that we figured out. Yeah, the, 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 the. Have him like publish like literally like a doctoral thesis or whatever on working side by side with a serial killer and all the sort of things that that he would notice and all of the minor like little details and shit and, and have it be an expose. So everybody's fucking pissed at Vince and Vince is like finally living the life that Vince Masoka deserves because that you always want to keep that funny part. And it's just like Vince isn't even barely in it except for like to to like, you know do it at the trial and show to, to, to confess at the trial or, or, or um, as a witness at the trial. And so it's like one of the things they, they see him on CNN and Dexter watching him and it's Vince Masoka on a fucking yacht, uh, slice of life, have him, have him be on the yacht and the yachts, the slice of life three. Oh my God. With two just like absolute smoke shows. Um, and just hanging out and drinking champagne and still just being a clumsy like idiot. And he's like, well, you know, I mean, Dexter's going to jail probably. And you know, uh, he deserves to be in prison. And as a person who's going to be in prison, you know, you can't make money off of, off of your crimes, but I can (laughs) like as a former member of Metro Miami department, don't you find that it's uh, maybe a little unethical to be capitalizing on this after your department's incompetence um, led to this. And Vince is just like, well, my incompetence never led to anything. I did everything right. And Dexter was right next to me, misfiling his reports, hiding my stuff. I mean, I outlined it all in my book and it's not my fault. And for the record, I don't work for Miami Metro anymore. And then you can even have that be the scene cut to La Guerra to going like, puta madre. <laughs> just fucking putting that shit down. Dude, fuck it. Dude, fuck Vince. And she's like, what are we doing? What, what can we do about him? And you know, if Angel is just like, sweaty and a little drunk the entire time throughout the entirety of this. Just be like, um, hire a hitman. We could, uh, poison him. I think maybe I would even like to just hit him with my car. You know, fuck it. Oh my God, dude. Angel Batista is just the best. I love it. I, the sad dad, Angel Batista after that would be great. You should have somebody, um, that just doesn't even think he did it. Or, you know, I mean, I guess you'll have Quinn because Quinn will always be around and Quinn will be stupid. He's like, you know, I don't know. I, just, I think I might have done the same thing. Like, all I could think is I see him sitting right there. Have him, have him on the way to stand. I see him sitting right there. And, you know, what he did was disgusting. But would I not have done it in his situation? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. 
because I'm Quinn, I'm dumb as fuck. But I did see all these people. That woman right there is alive because he killed this dude before he got to her. And blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, if he would have called us, sure, we would have arrested that guy, but he would have gotten out. Everything that Dexter knew about him, he knew because he was breaking the rules. So I don't know where, you know, and like they just have that whole thing, parades of people who are like, you know, I fucking hate this guy. He killed my, he took my husband from me and like have Dexter's fucking defense attorneys. Like your husband, this guy, the fucking, uh, the, the, the fucking, I don't know, mountaintop massacre or, or, or the Rocky top massacreist or whatever the fuck Rocky top rapist. There you go. Something say it's always going to be some alliterative, uh, uh, serial murderer, serial killer, rapist, whatever the fuck title. And then you're just putting out all these photos like this is, uh, Elaine Rigsby. Did you know this and this, and this is, um, you know, uh, Melanie, whatever. And this is like Samantha, whatever. And just going through all these names and the lady's just like, but he didn't deserve to die. And like, and the guy, the, the lawyer can just turn around and be like, this is the case of my fucking life, you know? And then as you get deeper into it, um, have Dexter like really kind of come to terms with stuff, including, and then the final thing can be like Dexter on the fucking witness stand um, ahead of sentencing. Cause you know, obviously the, the, the trial is only going to be something like three or four days, but they're going to want to present everything. And most of it's going to be um, coming. Actually, even it can even be him guilty on all charges at the start of it. Dexter's already guilty and have instead of a trial, which is going to have a lot more um, rigmarole and stuff to it, have it be um, pre-sentencing hearings. And that's why everybody's showing up to give character statements on him to see whether or not they can get him the death penalty, which would be fucking fascinating. Um, and have like Deborah. Deborah refuses to show up and give one, which would be great. And he just never sees Deborah again after she arrests him, which I think is what he deserves, which is fine. Um, and she can be living somewhere and just refuse to refuse to the subpoena and stuff. It doesn't really matter. But just the final one would be De or fucking Dexter speaking for himself, just sitting there and like, would you mind? And taking it off and just like. Maybe even just have, if you really want to fucking hammer home the last episode feeling of what that confession should be, it should be like a retrospective of the entire time and even have it be like almost like Kafka esque or something where he's just addressing people he's already murdered in the crowd or as though they're on stand with him. He can be imagining the Trinity killer talking about him. John Lithgow up there. Oh, I remember meeting Dexter Morgan the first time I met him. But of course he didn't call himself Dexter Morgan. He used a, an, 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 an uh, he used his own fake name, Kyle, whatever. And yes, he, he followed me and he learned all about me and I taught it him. We could have been friends. And that's the most important part. We could have been friends, but he ruined it. And he tried to take from me everything. And he did. Uh, right now, I'm still buried under 20 feet of concrete underneath a home of four people who never shut the fuck up. A woman who takes baths all the time. She doesn't know I'm watching, but I am. And I'd like to think about what it would be like to get in there with my knife and give her what she needs. But unfortunately, I'm dead and Dexter Morgan's alive and he's sitting right there. And yes, he deserves to die, just like Rita deserved to die. But what he needs to do is he needs to live. Think about how he failed her, his wife, his son, who's not even going to be in this courtroom, who's never going to visit him in jail, how he failed all of them, Dexter. <laughs> you know, like this death would be fucking fire as shit. Have Brian, like now that I think about this, have Brian 
Yeah, he was my brother. And I loved him. I loved him like you can only love a brother. But did I I have my love returned to me? No, no. After all, I did for him too. And then now we are here, of course, Dexter, six, seven years down the line. And what happened? Exactly what I told you would happen. Deborah turned you in because she doesn't understand you the way I understand you. And she never will. And I told you that. And now here we are. Me, my throat slit, my body burned in an industrial incinerator beneath the Miami hospital, cast out to the wind. You, getting ready to have the same done, whether you'd like to think so or not, they're never going to let you live because they don't understand you. I understood you. And what would our mother think if she was here right now? What would she have to say? Nothing. Because you didn't know her and blah, 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 blah. Just keep going on with that shit. Have him talk to everybody and have it be a mix of all those people for just like episode upon episode. And like eventually it's just him bribing a guard, doing a thing, somehow getting in there and just stabbing the fucking ever living shit out of that six foot eight bastard. And like, well, Mr. Morgan, as long as you can provide some proof to us that you could be rehabilitated, that you could somehow, if not rejoin society, at least act as a human being in this cage like we could and it's just him just like but why would i do that i've always been a man and a mo- i've always been a monster in a human suit and now the suit's off and just have him just fucking with like a fucking metal like takeout tray just fucking piecing up that dude in the fucking cell and trying to like hack his body apart because he's jammed the door shut and caused like a small riot at the prison or something. And like that could be like most of the ending and in and, and Dexter's Dexter's final final admonitions. But we the people uh yeah, yeah the, the 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 fucking um judge kind of like summating the entirety of the show for the audience at the end. Like Dexter Morgan, you have sat here for days. I, I had the uh, pleasure of overseeing your trial, which is one of the finest trials ever done in Florida history. More evidence was provided at that trial than any, I think I will ever see in my life. And uh, I served on a portion of the nine 11 commission and in my capacity as a federal uh, judge. Cause you would have to be federal because Dexter crossed state lines like a million times. One of the biggest one of the biggest reasons to not have you face the death penalty and, and, and to be pushed into it with all the, the, the due speed you deserve would be that your crimes are still not completely um, accounted for. You know, you, you, they, you have this that you haven't said anything about. There's, there's questions out on that and blah, 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 or something like that. Or, or even better yet, um, that you have accounted for all your crimes. You have been nothing but helpful uh, in, 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 in uncovering the bodies and in revealing the multiple ways in which you flaunted the laws of the land, the rules of the department and the, um, austere heights of the profession that you, you, um, pretended to do now that we are here, not only are people dead by your hand, but people are, are dozens or more are dead simply as a side result of your actions. Zach, whatever his name was, uh, Han McKay can just be dead in this. Why not? <laughs> um, Miguel Prado and, and, and Oscar Prado and, uh, you know, all those other ones and stuff too. And that's not to say of the unbelievable damage you've done to the impression of policing 
in the state of Florida and, you know, just do this whole big thing and then have him be like, Dexter Morgan, it never pains me to say this, but I am sentencing you to death, you know, by uh, lethal injection and da 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 da. And everyone in the crowd is like, whoa. And they just have it be like insane. And maybe that'd be the night where he kills the fucking, the one dude, the cowboy who got away, you know, and stuff. And he causes a riot and shit. And then, like, while the riot's going on, like, there's just this moment where he sees like a light in the hallway and like steps out into the hallway. And then there's a light and a light and a light. And the entire season, you can have people kind of constantly talking about, because you wouldn't want it to be like super straightforward. Just people constantly talking about, Hey, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't deserve to be in jail. And you can have the fucking prison guards whispering, like, I'll tell you what, I wish I could put him back into gen pop with a machine gun. You know, then we'd see, then we'd see really, we'd see how peaceful this place got. Like, yeah, give him a badge and a, give him a badge and a nightstick. This prison would run like, this prison would run smooth as butter. Maybe even he doesn't cause the riot. It just sort of happens. And then suddenly he just finds that he can get in there and the light leads him in and he fucking kills that guy. And then he steps back out of the hallway. It just goes, and it's the exit sign right over a door which it's not even a thing in a prison but he just starts walking and you know you used to get that don't 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 boom 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 so, and like what what am i an animal in a zoo and like that can be like the animal the monster on display the animal in the zoo the freak in the freak show can be his thing it's like but what happens when the tiger sees the cage open sliding open in the middle of the night and just have him start walking toward it and he's looking around and there's like maybe even like a, a guard who's like kind of looking but looks away or something like that. And it just – there's no one around him in the in the maximum security thing. And it's like, uh, you know, what point would there be to stay here? Whose laws am I obeying? What reason is there for me to remain? Duh, duh, duh. And have him like just continuing his like little soliloquy all the way out the door. And then he's just standing and when he looks up – there's a very bright light shining down on him as all this chaos is like erupting in the rest of the prison. You see blood shooting up on some of the, the glass and stuff as people are, 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 are do violence onto another. It seems like in a world gone mad, I'm the only calm one. And if I'm the only bit of calm in a world gone mad, then why deprive myself or why deprive the world of me? And then he turns back and it's like, ding, 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 ding. and he smiles at the camera and it shuts the door. And then like the credits roll and then you don't know, like, is he a crazy person? Was there actually a super big fucking riot um, or, 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 or what? And like have the credits roll and then just hear. And then it, it just cuts to the fucking Vince Masoka's yacht, the slice of life three. And it's just up the coast. You don't see anyone driving, but it just shows it. And then it cuts back and there's just a tiny little drop of blood going down the side. And then it keeps cutting back and cutting back. And then you see the slice of life three and then 
And like that could be the ending. That could have been the ending that we got. That could have been anything could have been the ending that we got. But that but but that's that's my thing of how I think the last season should have been. The people versus Dexter Morgan. Because just having him and everybody else get to confront the existence of Dexter is what you want. You want people to talk about him. You want him to finally get to say without reservation that he did these things. And for people without you know, to have their, their suspicions verified and like, what are they doing with their life and what the fuck is going on? And, and I think that that would have been a much better way ultimately um, to end it all. The sensible ninth season of Dexter, which takes place 10 years after the end of uh, season eight, after the original events of the original series finale, remember the monsters question mark. Started premiering uh, last year, November 7th of 2021, and uh, ran until um, last weekend to date this episode. So, just as the, the basic premise, after faking his death 10 years ago in a hurricane, Dexter Morgan has moved to the fictional small town of Iron Lake, New York, hiding his identity under the name of Jim Lindsay, a clerk at a local wilderness sporting gear store. He has a romantic relationship with the town's chief of police, Angela Bishop, and has successfully suppressed his vigilante serial killing urges for the time. Dexter's deceased sister, Deborah, has replaced their father, Harry, because unfortunately the real actor died in real life. As an imaginary presence, he often speaks to in the first episode. His estranged son, Harrison, from his previous life, arrives unannounced with mysterious motives. A string of incidents around Iron Lake causes Dexter to fear that his dark passenger within him Potentially his son will reveal itself. All right. So is it good? Uh, almost. It's not good. Unfortunately. Um, I, I started watching this. I was really, really excited about this. Um, the show, the, the, this, this series runs for a, uh, ran for a total of 10 10 episodes and um, very much attempts to tie up the events of the uh, last few seasons of, of um, Dexter uh, while still being very interesting. Um, trying, to, trying to figure out where to, where, where to approach this from. It kind of feels like in a great macrocosm, the entirety of all of the things that are good and bad about the entirety of the original series all jammed into one. I think the worst part about it is that it really does try to pick up where the last show left off, which means you're already ankling yourself by the dog shit ending of the original run of Dexter. Um it's no small fact that most people did not like the ending of the original series. Enough so that the difference in between viewers was it was 2.8 million people watched the ending of the original Dexter show. Only 0.6 million, 0.67 million, uh, 678,000 people watched um, the premiere of Cold Snap. So not a lot of people were looking forward to it and uh, less were interested in it by the end. It dipped down to a low of 0.576 million by the ninth episode, which is traditionally, if your show's not doing great, um, you'll dip to your minimum in the last two episodes before it goes off. Uh, and then popping up to an entire 0.81 million on the last episode. Now, I don't know 
how those viewer numbers are done are done. Um, it should be said uh, very explicitly that at the end of the last season, people were still watching television. It's 2013. People still had TV scriptions to a degree. Netflix was only starting to uh, murder the traditional television and, uh, and and basic cable markets. Prestige television shows also got a whole hell of a lot better in 2013. Notably, it is um, it was the end of Dexter, but also um, the beginning, the true beginning of the hot run of Game of Thrones, at which point people didn't have a fuck about shit like Dexter. It was a whole new ball game out there. Um, I think actually around this time also True Blood ended and um a few other a few other major shows um breaking bad i think was also getting ready to come to an end around 2013 so you know that it was it was definitely a, a transitional period between one phase of television and going into a new orange is the new black was starting to pop off at that time and um you know, along with that, all of the Netflix prestige shows that not only followed, but basically uh, dominated the market in a fundamental way through the middle to late uh, 2010s. So um, with that in mind, those numbers should be kind of seen like that. It doesn't mean people absolutely fucking hate the Dexter franchise now. I wouldn't want to put that forward. But I will say that this entry into um, the, the greater Dexter franchise um, was a piss poor execution ultimately by the end the basic framework i'm not even really going to bother too much with uh the characters a lot of them are underdeveloped a lot of them are introduced as being important and completely forgotten about this short very short um series is plagued by bad writing uh decisions start to finish uh well middle to finish um, that are very surprising considering they had all of the time they wanted to work on this. I mean, I know it was probably put together during the 2020 pandemic, but um, bad writing has no excuse. The The story follows Dexter as, as per usual, living now under the assumed name of Jim Lindsay. Dexter Morgan is Jim Lindsay, works at a uh, outdoor and gun shop. He's dating the chief of police. Her daughter is a hot chick. Um, who his son Harrison, when he arrives in town, starts dating immediately, uh, unintentionally or intentionally repeating the like pseudo incest angle of the previous season. Like, I don't know if that was intentional or not, or if uh, some of the people that just write with Dexter are just like really like they're kind of into the like, uh, stepbrother, I'm stuck in the laundry machine type things. Uh, at the time, Dexter's got a pretty decent routine going. He's chill. He has he has calmed down. He's um, not killing anybody. He hasn't killed anybody in 10 years. He's clean. He's sober. He lives in the hills. Harrison finds him, and uh, everything starts going crazy from there. Um, there's already – well, I'll get into it. Um, the starting major conflict of this is that Dexter kills um, – Matthew, Matt Caldwell, um, the son, rich son of a rich dude. He's a douchebag. He illegally shoots a white deer that Dexter always runs around after looking at and pointing a gun at, but never shooting himself. So Dexter knocks him out, takes him to a thing, kills him, cuts him up, buries him underneath his fireplace and then proceeds to uh, shit up the crime scene so that people can't find him. He's got to lie a little bit about 
Harrison. Harrison tells him that he has been in the foster care system, but he sought him out because he found a letter from Hannah McKay. I don't know. The, the, the Harrison getting back to Dexter is so contrived and so full of so many plot holes that it's kind of better to not even talk about it too much because once you start talking about it, you're like, wait, but why, but wait, but how, but wait, but why, but wait, but how like the, that, he, that he could track Dexter down when he's under an assumed name in a remote place in the middle of fucking nowhere. doesn't make much sense. I think they blame it on the internet, but still that's a stunning amount of detective work to do off of like literally almost no information. Maybe he tells her, tells him where he is. I can't, it doesn't matter. It, it's not really important. Um, he kills that chick. Um, also at the time you find out that, uh, Angela, his girlfriend, the chief of police, her major thing is, uh, missing and murdered indigenous women, which is actually a very serious issue plaguing America right now. And, uh, also for the last 200 years, um, as just a quick aside, because that does deserve its own thing. Um, indigenous women in America are preyed on at an extremely high rate. I wrote about this when I was a journalist in North Dakota, um, because of this sort of absolute prede- predation on um, indigenous communities by the American government and the sort of broken way in which we approached our um, treaty breaking with them. Most of Native American communities are crushingly impoverished and uh, dependent on state resources to uh, basically to live. That's not their fault. It's literally because the Bureau of Land Management and uh, like even in North Dakota is a very specific example. The um, U.S. Department of Engineers actively actively fucked over and destroyed all of the farmland of the um, people who now live in Newtown, the Mandan, um, it's the three affiliated tribes, Mandan, Hidatsu, and Ari, Arakira, Ari, Arakira. Hold on. I, that would be rude. Uh, three affiliated tribes, MHA nation, Mandan, Hidatsu, and Arikara. Sorry. And Mandan, Hidatsu, and Arikara Nation. Uh, they were flooded out. Um, the Missouri River was flooded to create Lake Sakakawea. Um, it's what you actually, the actual name of Sacagawea, Sakakawea. Um, that lake was created, and it could have, the dam could have been put it almost anywhere, but they intentionally put it where it would flood out. And this is in the 1950s and 60s, by the way. They intentionally put it where it would flood out Native Americans um, in order to provide white. Um, literally, literally single to second generation white immigrants from fucking Norway and to a lesser extent the Ukraine to provide them with um, arable land and irrigation. So not only and this is this is so not only uh, did they fuck them in that way where um, they took away their their absolute ability to feed themselves. So they lost all of their arable land and were pushed basically into the Badlands area off of a nice, long, flat, fertile river valley ground area, you know, where they could just, they have a lot of sedimentation and silt and runoff. All that shit grows plants like a motherfucker. They push them up into the Badlands where they can barely find anywhere for their cattle to eat if they want to grow cattle. And there's functionally nowhere to grow fucking Durham. I've driven, I've been to Berthold, or Fort Berthold a bunch of times and to Newtown. I've been to Fort Peck out there. The way that we treat them Native Americans in this country is absolutely fucking ridiculous. And uh, honestly, if you think that the, the missing murdered indigenous women shit is like exaggerated in the show it is actually undersold um i had to talk to them and it's 
literally every day women go missing from birth hold. Like literally every day. And no one knows where they go. Sometimes people come back because it was a, a young woman trying to find like some work, you know, in like Minot or something or just traveling down to meet a guy or whatever. Um, hitchhiking is still huge out there. I mean, if you live in the Dakotas and like the Mondak area for any amount of time and you stop at any gas station near a fucking near a fucking uh, actually for any gas station, really. Um Somebody will probably come up to you and be like, hey, are you heading in this direction? Like, can I get a ride? And you'd be like, yeah, or no, if you want. And people hitchhike like a motherfucker over there because there's nowhere else to go. Like, you're literally on the one road. Like, you're on Highway 2 for fucking 95 miles until you get from Minot to, you know, whatever. Uh, I can't remember what the fuck that place was north of. Was that Loeb? It might have been Loeb. But anyway... Yeah, you drive. So people go missing all the time and there's not a lot of assistance given there. Native land is uh, sovereign land. It's technically its own country after a fashion, although it's not uh, Native Americans do not do hierarchy the same way that Americans do. And most of the times where you're like, well, they do it like this. And it's like like a white people thing. It was we forced them to do that so that we could fucking understand whatever situation that they were in instead of like trying to accommodate them it's every time like literally the, the amount of fucking race it, it's a fucking genocide we did a genocide did a completed to almost a full finish a genocide and they're fucked because of it um and it's a nightmare but then missing and murdered indigenous and women shit is fucking wild because of the way that the the things are set up there's not a lot of conversation between the things so like th- the sovereign state basically of, 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 you know, uh, the Mandan or Fort, Fort Berthold reservation, um, technically interacts. It's supposed to technically interact at a federal level for local crime. So like if you leave, you're supposed to talk to like the federales or whatever the fuck, but actually you're going to end up talking to the state police. And so they have to have these like interjurisdictional agreements and stuff because you can commit a crime in America and then go to Fort Berthold and hang out and not be convicted of the crime. And like a lot of times that's for the best because you can go do whatever the fuck you want out there as a native and then come back and be like, oh, fuck you guys, you know, which they absolutely deserve. They should be able to do whatever the fuck they want on, on white land. Cause it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be ours. <laughs> so I don't give a fuck. Go, go and do whatever the fuck you want. But uh, vice versa and much more extreme. If you commit a crime on native land and leave, um, the native population does not have an effective means to find you. Um, and they are offered functionally no cooperation from the federal government. There's technical things between the state, local and federal governments and, and the reservations that are like in place, but they actively do not fucking help those people. And um, I, I personally believe that they think it's fucking funny when they call them up and they're, they're like, Hey, uh, we need help. This young woman went missing. Her mother says she's not the type to go missing. We don't have the resources to search the address that she went to in Fargo. And it's 14 hour drive away from where we live. Can you go out there and check? And the people will be like, Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> and then they, they won't do it. The racism, racism. And you think if you think for a second that you understand white anti POC anti fucking native American racism 
because you live in a major city like New York or like Philadelphia or shit and you've seen some shit. Do you think Ferguson, the fucking racism in Ferguson that caused the Ferguson riots was bad? Go to the Dakotas. You will have your mind fucking blown. The fucking born in the blood racism there is unreal and people are just out about it. I mean, direct. They call them fucking prairie N-words out loud in front of people like they'll say it at a bar <laughs> fucking, i don't like them and they just go off and people be like oh, yeah, 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 they should get jobs what in the fuck north dakota i digress not every north dakotan is like that but all the ones that aren't like that tend to leave north dakota because north dakota fucking sucks my opinion but anyway, yeah, so um, the police chief's thing is mission, missing and murdered indigenous women. And sorry, anytime that topic comes up, I will absolutely derail my entire conversation. I'm sorry. But it is something that needs to get talked about because it's very serious. She's looking for all these people. We find out that uh, as we go in, where should we even go from there? Uh, Harrison tells Dexter that Hannah McKay died from pancreatic cancer a few years ago. So he went to the foster care system, but... I guess because like they were in Argentina, but she had like a millions of dollars and was a, probably living there for a while. And he's nearly an adult. It's weird to me that he would get sent from Argentina to America. I, I don't know how that would actually work, but I, I feel like a South American country would probably have some sort of something in 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 reservation for for that. I don't know how they would even find out. I don't know why he was, she wouldn't have something, something like set up for that. So that makes no sense that he got sent to foster care and he got sent to foster care in Miami. So they, like, they fucking like this woman died and they found out that Harrison was from Miami and then they just fucking deported him. Even though all of his family are clearly dead, but also they're not. And this is one of the biggest plot first plot things that is just, it's fucking stupid. His family are not all dead. He has two biological half siblings, Cody and Aster, who are still very much alive and living with their fucking grandparents and the rest of his extended family on his mother's side. So I don't know, understand how that, that is a thing, but it should have been that he went and just went to live with them or something and they came up, but he had to go to the foster care system so that he can be troubled. And that's the whole thing. Um, as we kind of get deeper into this, uh, Harrison's problems become evident, obviously, without just direct, just to get into it. He remembers the Trinity killer killing his mom. And so now he is potentially also a serial killer. He's very violent, but also he has not been abused from childhood by a fucking father figure trying to teach him to be a serial killer. Thankfully, Dexter wasn't around. So he got spared that until this show happens. During this part, we're introduced to some side characters that never come up again or are just like minimal in there, which is very unfortunate because I thought the town would basically serve as a uh, surrogate Miami Metro police department that Dexter would have to kind of constantly interact in. So, you know, every episode, Dexter goes to Miami Metro and everybody's kind of got their stuff going on. And I thought that's what it would be like for this season, which I was very interested in. He's got his... Um, gay coded if not gay uh boss at the gun store gun store there's the three whole fucking cops two cops the dispatch lady who's in a wheelchair and his boss and his, his girlfriend who's the p police of chief 
chief of police at the the police station. There's the cool uh, black dude who is a butcher, who's a really interesting guy to talk to, and it's prominent in the first few episodes. And then like the people at the bar that he is a constant, he constantly goes to. And so like if you were competent at writing, you would focus on that small community for him to play off of. And by the way, I think that they should have, or they actually intended to from the get go, because he talks about how he's in that fucking community now. And like, he's kind of dangerous to it at the beginning and at the end, but the fucking weird off the goddamn walls writing that they do. I mean, look at this. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten. The ten writers who fucking wrote this show are fucking absolutely not on the same page episode to episode. So they 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 set up this thing, and that's the first episode. They set up this great thing, teleplay, and the story are by Clyde Phillips and Adam Rapp. I think Adam Rapp is, uh, uh, I don't know, he's mildly famous. Clyde Phillips, I think, is actually from the original run. Um, there's a different director every time, too. Um I know that's how things normally operate, but like Jesus fucking Christ, the the writing in this. And also, is it just a, a quick aside? The title work in this is fucking stupid and shouldn't be done. It's very irritating and distracting. For some reason, they did dynamic titles for Dexter shows. Um, Dexter's always had like a really simplistic title thing, you know, like comes up like the uh, monsters in paradise or whatever the fuck. And it goes away. It comes up, it goes away. It's always like a serif font. Fuck off. We're done. We're ready. In this one, they had to do like those big dynamic titles that people do sometimes. It was, it was really bad in the Suicide Squad uh, remake movie that came out a while ago where it, it's got to be like uh, somehow it's like a, a part of the scene. Like it's actually like an ice flow flowing down the river that kind of like falls off at the end. And the ice is the title. But it's like really distracting to me. Um because first off, it wasn't common in the old one. And second, uh, in a few of them, they put in uh, like sound effects and stuff for them. So they're very jarring. And they're also not particularly uh, well done artistically. So they're, they're, they don't blend very well with the scene. And it kind of kicks the Uncanny Valley off. Like the, the people didn't focus on getting the lighting right. So it's like, okay, so it's a foggy day and this fog is turning into the titles. But the fog of the foggy day is like a slightly different color and it's moving differently and it wouldn't it wouldn't appear like that. And why does it have to be fog in the fog kind of thing? I, I might be making up an example. I can't remember. But basically, in a fundamental way, it's like that. Anyway, they don't really stay with these characters at all the entire time um you get with angela and her daughter who i can't really remember she's in a lot of scenes but she's kind of unimportant she's a very uninterestingly done female character um she's basically just like a teenage love interest who exists so that harrison has somebody to like cry to or talk to or whatever but she doesn't have any of her own motivations outside of the first episode um, where she does have one. Um, she's an environmentalist and she talks with this extremely creepy billionaire guy who's like bald and, and unsettling and um, rich. He's kind of like a petro billionaire type that lives near them. He is in that episode and then he's never in it again. Uh, or actually he's in there like maybe like one other time or maybe two, um, but very in very small amounts where he kind of comes up 
to that girl's character and he acts like he is a, a threatening presence, right? You know, you don't really know that much about me, but maybe someday you'll find out that kind of shit. But then he never comes. He's fucking gone. He is fucking gone for the rest of the time. And so because of that, the only major conflict in her life is just like, should I, or should I not fuck the, my, my, my mom's boyfriend's son that just come to town answer is Yes. Because that would be good for his character. So I will do that. Also, if we have any weird interactions, I think I will forgive him for them. I will blame myself for making mistakes. And I will walk through windows um, in, in, in a kind of like uh, a very like alluring way when I need him to sadly drive out of town. And like that's the entirety of her character. I'm not saying that the uh, actress isn't good. She's great. Um her and her mom get a lot of good interactions and they even get to, uh, to put some of the native language. I assume I would hope from the iron Lake area. I don't speak a fucking lick of, of any native language. I don't know fucking Sioux Lakota. I don't know Salish, anything like that. Um, so I can't tell you if it's accurate, if it's good. I hope it is. Um, because that would be awesome. It's good to get native languages um, on screen and recorded for history's sake. There's less and less native speakers of languages to the point where some of them are completely dead now and only like sort of semi-preserved in books written by fucking white people. So uh, any native speaking of the language should be preserved at all costs. I would love to someday be able to do that. That would be dope. Um, but other than that, that's like kind of the entirety of what she gets to do, uh, which sucks because um, I think that that actress is pretty good. Her mom, Angela, is a lot better. Um, she does have her own motivations for doing what she does. She does not just play off Dexter, although toward the end of it, she kind of does get saddled into that. But then, then again, so does basically everybody else, um, which sucks. So uh, in the whatever third third episode i think um we get to meet kurt caldwell yes so kurt caldwell just shows up and uh that is um matt caldwell's dad right and i'm not 100 percent sure that um clancy brown who plays that he's also the voice of spongebob and also the voice of mr krabs which is hilarious and also he's um instructor zim from the uh, drill and drill sergeant Zim from the original uh, or not the original, but from starship troopers, which is how I know him and why I was always love him. Starship troopers was like the best movie ever when I was a kid. It made me want to join the military, which means it's, it means it absolutely failed in it's ability to satirize fascism. But <laughs> I still love that film even more so now that I I'm in my post fascist existence. So, um, all that aside, Clancy Brown gets introduced and we very soon find out that he's the one that's been killing all the women. He has this like little kill room that's kind of cool set up. He invites girls. He, he kind of grooms women into trusting him and then lures them into this like warm place to stay. And then they uh, he lets them out and they run away and he fucking guns them down. And then we find out later that he preserves them in this gigantic basement um, made up of unburied uh, shipping containers, which is a kind of clumsy nod to Dexter and his son, but I don't know. 
I think at that point, like all of the writers that are uh, working on this, I don't know if they have any previous experience, but I guess they maybe just rewatch the show. And at any point in time, they were like, oh, let's try to redo things from the show and reincorporate things. So Clancy Brown's character, um, Kurt Caldwell has this kind of um, display fetish thing that he does with these ladies. That's very reminiscent of Brian. Um, uh, the, the the truck stop killer and also um, I think somebody else in it does similar stuff. I guess maybe the apocalypse killer would probably be the closest thing. Um, and you know, the, the, it, it's kind of like drawn together, but it's not done in a, a particularly good way. It's weird that he's been getting away with all this in this like remote town for so long when he needs so many supplies. It's also shown that he has some assistance from guys that work for him, although only one is ever shown and that person is pretty uh, summarily killed by Dexter. Um, the middle episodes kind of follow a very direct path to the end characters are introduced and then they are either killed or put to the side as their value is no longer relevant to the show they are not allowed to increase to progress to have their own problems which affect the show pretty much at all um most of this this is very much uh, the case uh with harrison Harrison is introduced to a new a group of new friends who he finds are untrustworthy to a degree. They're kind of like douchebags. And then he finds that they're bullying a guy. So he says, fuck you. And he starts hanging out with the bullied kid. And then he decides to uh, maybe try to kill the bullied kid and slits the kid's leg open because the kid has like a shooter manifesto. And so he blames that kid on for being a shooter. And then, uh, that kid goes away and then the kid, the friends kind of show up and they are like, all right, Hey, we forgive you. Cause you're really cool. And he goes to a party and that party just serves to introduce him to the overdose that he has, which introduces Dexter to a kill that he can do. And so Dexter goes and kills a guy and that it sets it up for Dexter to kill somebody, which I mean, I guess is like, it's not the clumsiest thing, but those characters are just kind of there, you know, they show up, they hang out and then they leave. And then from then on, I mean, that's like the f fourth, fifth episode. And then for the rest of the series, they're, they're barely in it. And most of the stuff revolves around Kurt trying to sort of maybe either kill Harrison or recruit him. We don't quite know until he eventually tries to kill him. Dexter trying to just kind of like get away with murdering Matt and like get in with his son. And it's kind of slow throughout the middle. Um, these episodes sort of just blur together after a fashion, which isn't the worst thing because you do get some great moments. And I will say that that, that it's not an absolute failure. I would, I would rate the last season of Dexter at a flat two. Um, if not, maybe just a one, I would say that this altogether is a six barely passing in terms of quality. Um, yeah. Angela finds out that Dexter's she, she does some actually like 10 seconds of, detective work and kind of catches Dexter up in a few lies. And then Dexter hunts down Kurt. Kurt tries to kill Harrison. He fails. He runs away. They catch him. Then Dexter captures Kurt. They find Kurt's gross underground murder lair. And then they trap him in there and they kill him. Dexter kills Kurt in front of 
um, Harrison, but Harrison doesn't want to stick through for the dismembering of the body. And then it kind of gets to a point where you're like, okay, Dexter's kind of cringe. Dexter's kind of a cringe dad with a cringe hobby where it's like he fucking chops people up and his son's like, nah, that's not cool. That doesn't slap. That's not, I don't fuck with that. I don't fuck with that at all. It's pretty lame, dad. (laughs) And, um, yeah, we kind of progressed towards the end. During the entirety of this, Angela is looking into Dexter and she does some basic fucking police work. And then we get to the last episode where he gets arrested. Oh, no. Um, the last episode is kind of where all of the flaws of the season, all of the flaws of the season just come full force and really just get kind of obvious. I don't know how you would do it better. But the entire thing falls off the rails when Dexter kills um, the black second-in-command, Logan, uh, who's the coolest guy ever. He's the chief – or the the not the chief, the coach of the local wrestling team, um, a really nice guy. He's basically one of Dexter's only friends, and Dexter kind of callously murders him while trying to escape from his cell in a way that doesn't make any sense in multiple ways. First off – Logan is probably 10 years, if not like 12 or 15 younger than Dexter. Uh, Michael C. Hall is in his 50s, I believe, and he looks it in this. Um, It's not an insult. He just looks like an older man. Um, Logan is very much a young man um, who is constantly, constantly working out and staying in shape and is a professional level wrestler, you know what I mean? Or at least good enough to be a coach of a high school wrestling team that has apparently gone to state a few, a few times. So he knows how to wrestle and how to do body manipulation in a basic way. And Dexter kind of just takes him out by smashing his face into uh, bars and then putting him in a headlock and then snapping his neck with a headlock that is impeded by two bars or at least one iron bar of a, of a cell quick digression snapping a human neck is almost almost fucking impossible especially if the person is fighting back and i mean like literally don't even fucking try to say you heard it you saw it in a show it's fucking almost impossible to do how do i know that because i was in the fucking marine corps and we had to do micmap training all the time and we were simultaneously strong as fuck and hilariously incompetent at wrestling we should be dead with the amount of fucking torsion that was put on people's necks and nothing fucking happened now it's not saying you can't snap somebody's neck um in in a sports accident usually it happens through impact um uh, like a full body impact so the amount of strain you can put on somebody's neck through a headlock is actually really kind of small um, in comparison to other sports grade forces. Like technically kicking somebody in the neck is going to do way more force, way more working physical force than a headlock because a headlock is just direct strain. It's literally the pinching of the bicep muscle. And then maybe the, the, the back, if you get a full, lock then you get your entire back involved in it but still that's like a limitation to like whatever like a few maybe a couple thousand pounds of pressure and it's still soft you know it's it, it's soft stuff on soft stuff your muscles your skin your bone when people get their neck snapped it's because their entire body which is in locomotion you know a 250 280 pound linebacker 
being tossed into the air while traveling 15, 16 miles an hour, and then also rotating off of the impact of another 300 pound person hitting them and then perfectly landing on their fucking like C2, C3 vertebra. That is how you fucking snap a neck. And still that's incredibly rare in Dexter new blood. Dexter just goes and fucking he's dead. Little pop and falls to the ground. And this professional grade, or at least I would say, I would say he's a pro level wrestler, you know, like pre Olympic golden gloves type guy done dead, dead instantaneously. And so jarring, like what the fuck? And I think it was supposed to be jarring as in like, Oh my God, he killed him. But I was watching and my wife was too. And she's like, this is a dream sequence, right? Like this isn't real. And it wasn't. And it, it it's to the deficit from there. It goes downhill. Um, Dexter starts acting very much unlike himself. Um, he killed that guy callously. He's kind of like making excuses for it in a bad way. And he really didn't have to wrestle with the repercussions of it. Like it should have been something a lot deeper than what it was, which is kind of why it felt like a thing. Like it should have been him pleading and talking with the guy, but like literally Logan doesn't even get to fucking speak with him. He just gets fucking murdered and it's absolutely bullshit. I wish it would have been a different character because Logan's like fucking cool too, but it's not like, and it should have been something where he had to like, he shot him and he's like, you're going to be fine. It's like, you shot me. He's like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. They get to tell you like, I, I, I'm sorry. I had to do this. He goes, you're not, you're not sorry. Like he could have had like some sort of confrontation, but they couldn't even have that because Dexter's got to go have worse confrontations with less interesting characters, i.e. his son. He goes out and runs away. And eventually he runs into fucking Harrison. He's like, Harrison, we got to fucking leave. And Harrison knows that fucking Logan, he finds out that Logan's dead because it's fucking, it's Logan's phone that Dexter's calling from. And he saw Dexter get arrested. So whatever they go and they meet out in the fucking woods. And we come to the conclusion that Dexter's like, you're just like me. And Harrison's like, I'm not like you. And you're a bad dad. And Dexter's like, oh yeah, I guess so. But technically was I. The only thing that was bad that I did was like, have you technically me leaving was the best thing for you because I would have just been doing the serial killing shit probably like way earlier and you would be like crazy fucked up. But they never really established that in the conversation that they have. They never say like Dexter's like, oh yeah, well actually, yeah, it's probably better that you weren't around me because um, I'm a fucking murderer. And like the second you came back into my life, I started killing people again. So there's also that he shoots Dexter in the chest because Dexter wants him to like, you got to aim. And it's like a nice scene, I guess it's like, well done. Harrison feels bad. Uh, Angela shows up two seconds later to try to arrest Dexter, but Dexter's already dead. She lets um, Harrison run away. I don't know how the fuck Angela finds him. I guess maybe, I don't know. Maybe she follows Logan's phone. I can't remember. It's not said explicitly but i don't know here's a question she um is gonna have that crime scene uh also before this dexter tells her that kurt's kurt caldwell's fucking body dumpster is out there and so that she goes on her own for some reason instead of sending like literally any of the other people that work for her and keeping multiple people in the station to watch the fucking serial killer that she caught um she's a bad cop um because she's written that way and um, she goes to this. She finds this dead guy who's been shot with a uh, long rifle bullet that is not from a police issue rifle. While she is that she is holding, in addition to her service rifle, 
Um, he has been shot in the chest, not in a way that would suggest that he's fleeing. Um, he doesn't have a gun on him because he's Dexter. So uh, she just caught an unarmed guy. I mean, I guess he ran away from from Logan after killing him. So like that's kind of legit. But still, also, why are there tra- tire tracks to a, a truck that's not here? Like who, who drove here and then drove away? Did Dexter drive here, die, and then drive his own truck away? Uh, no, because Logan's truck is still back where he parked it and his, his feet lead because there's snow out. So like how the fuck are you going to talk your way out of this one? Like what the fuck? Just fucking put Harrison in jail. Like, be a good cop, you fucking idiot. Um, but no, she's got to let him go because I think maybe this was supposed to be like uh, Harrison's going to pick it up. That's why it's the new blood. But I highly doubt there's going to be another season of this. Um, and yeah, ultimately, that's where we end. Harrison drives away. She tells him to leave Iron Lake and never come back, which he's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll do that. Whereas 20 seconds earlier, he's like, no, I don't want to leave with you because all of my friends are here, Dexter. So I guess I'll shoot you and then leave anyway. <laughs> In a truck, I think that is not registered to him with like just $200 and none of his belongings or paperwork. So that kid's, he's got a bright future. I'm pretty sure he won't kill anybody else. <laughs> Fucking insane. So like, in summation, I really don't know what could have been done better about new blood. I would say it's ultimately not particularly good. Um, as, as Michael C. Hall says, uh, the ending of the original series was mystifying at best to people, confounding, exasperating, and frustrating on down the line of negative, exa- of negative adjectives, which I, I agree with. Um, it really just, it really just wasn't good. So Clyde Phillips is the person that ran the original show, which is why the first season, the first show is the first episode of this is so good. Clyde Phillips was the four year showrunner, and he really fucking knocked it out of the park with the original ones. And I guess either he's didn't do anything with this new one or was just kind of brought on for a second for the first episode. The first episode slaps. It's very good. It's very interesting. Not a lot of action happens, but it really does set the scene. By the end, we're left with just more of the same old, same old. I can only really blame Showtime for this because I know that they're a meddlesome company from what I understand, and they like to overextend properties. Uh, They're very capitalistic in that regard. They definitely treat all of their IP um, as just a base commodity ultimately and, and just fucking drain the fucking life out of it, creative progress be damned Uh, maybe i'm wrong about that but that's just what i get from watching their shows that's why i don't watch showtime anymore um dexter is the beginning of that and then the kind of just poor longevity of uh shameless uh kind of hammered at home ultimately yeah it's bad there's a lot of great characters that should have been in there and weren't there were a lot of plot threads that came up that were pointless there was a lot of running around there was a lot of leaving town and leaving the the greater narrative space in order to do extra shit that never came to fruition one of the most notable most notable and most irritating things that never got readdressed were a when Dexter goes to find a place to dispose of the bodies. He goes to the bear caves or whatever the fuck north of town, which is where um, Caldwell has been disposing of body or disposed of one body already. When he goes in there, there's a gigantic pit in the middle that he talks about. Maybe I should throw bodies down there, which I still agree with. It's a gigantic fucking pit. 
And, you know, if you can figure out what's at the bottom of it, uh, yeah, just definitely put a body down there. No one will fucking find that shit. Because as evidence later, nobody found the woman that's buried behind a clearly man-made wall near the back right of that passage just a few episodes later. But also there's a fucking bear in the cave, a gigantic fuck off black bear, if not maybe a grizzly bear that's huge and and screams at him. And uh, that's a bear and you're in the bear's nest. It's going to be very fucking upset with you. Um and when it happens, Dexter just gets a phone call and walks outside after getting yelled at by a bear and just answers the phone call. And the bear is never seen again, even though they go back to that same cave structure. Like that is one of the most where you're breaking that fucking big rule of Dexter of, of show me where if you show me a bear, I want to see the fucking bear again. I like bears. Bears are cool. My nickname in my relationship is bear. And you just never, they never go back to the bear. And I think that's really uh the summation of Dexter New Blood and the Dexter Old Blood. All of the bad of what happened to Dexter. Uh, they never go back to the bear. And the bear is what I liked. In summation, to kind of end this and wrap this up, first off, thank you all for listening. And uh, if you don't know who I am or you, you showed up late or are watching one of the um, the clips from this, my name is Tyler Bell. I am a horror and dark fiction author. You can check out my podcast, The West Side Fairy Tales, at westsidefairytales.com. It's available for download wherever you find it. We host this show, The Horror and Lit Club, and uh, my regular episodes, which are horror and dark fiction stories. They are now fully scored and, uh, and with sound effects and shit. They're dope as fuck. Check out our most recent story about a, uh, a woman who is coming to terms with the death of her uh, late husband by befriending <laughs> talking possums and shit. It's fucking great. That's the, t- the Tortures of Edith Harlow. That's available now for download for free wherever you get it. So um, if you're trying to find something else to slate that um, thirst for interesting, dark, gloomy, fun, melancholic, bloody good times, check out the West Side Fairy Tales podcast. Um and, uh, you know, follow me, YouTube, give me a rating. If you're listening to this online, go ahead and rate me. If you're listening on Spotify, especially we need some Spotify ratings and, uh, check out patreon.com, patreon.com slash Westside fairy tales to support us, get early access to episodes like this and more patreon.com. Sorry for the, uh, the big run up, but, um, yeah, in summation, what's, what, what happened to Dexter is that it started off really, really good. And people started focusing on, less important aspects of it and really just being very lazy with the, with the writing and stuff like a lot of shows that I liked and that got bad. I feel like the writing staff, the network or the showrunners got sick of it and didn't care anymore. You can see this with David and David on the game of Thrones series, which really did fall apart past it's season five um, and kind of never recovered. And a lot of long running prestige series. I'm glad that, Things like The Wire sort of made it out ahead of time. Dexter, for the first four seasons, is pretty much kind of like a seminal work of uh, American prestige television. It is unlike anything else I've experienced before or since. It's fun. It's uplifting. It's very character-driven, and the characters are fantastic. They work really well with each other. They interact wonderfully. You always want to know what's going on with them until the later seasons where they give you a little too much. They languish in rotting plot threads that go nowhere, and uh, there is a lot of Ponzi scream writing in which uh, untalented writers are faced with trying to have to think their way through uh, the chess piece 
or the chess puzzles that would actually create a good plot and instead just introduce new elements to distract from their own inabilities to deliver on promised resolutions. Dexter New Blood continues the tradition of substandard writing that plagued the later seasons of Dexter and is ultimately a disappointment in both its execution and its attempt to resolve the ending of the former series. Um, Hopefully, it, along with its eponymous character, Dexter Morgan, remain dead. I don't believe that the writing or the character of Harrison is enough to carry a new show. I would love to be completely bafflingly surprised by um, a revelation otherwise, but I I think that um, much like Dexter itself, this franchise is now dead and should remain that way so that people can enjoy what remains of it into the future. Because now that we've created another season of it, we have not increased our overall net value in Dexter. I would say that this at best nudges the needle nowhere, if not somewhat decreases it. Um, If not because of the slight amount of incompetence shown in its creation, just because it took another whole season of the show um, to just further let me down and really explain nothing and capitalize on none of what made the original series great. So with that, thank you all for waiting through this. I know this is an extremely long thing. I'm not some sort of a dedicated video editor who's going to go through this and, and change everything and, and put in a whole bunch of clips and all that sort of stuff. I hope you enjoy the few uh, musical uh, outerludes and um, yeah, follow me on Twitter at WS Fairy Tales. Follow me um, on Facebook and on uh, Facebook and what else? Facebook and Instagram, Westside Fairy Tales. Get us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. Thank you to all of my patrons out there. You make these things possible. I hope you really enjoyed this. And uh, until next time, as always, Stay safe out there. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. 
Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlo Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.